Well, hello there, my dear children of the apocalypse. How are we doing today? Welcome to Doom Time. This is probably going to be episode five, following Spitfire's episode. And uh, joining us today is Mr. Napalm Arate, one of my uh, all-time favorite people, one of the few that I've actually gotten to meet in real life. Was it August 2019, I believe, in Vienna? Yes, it was when uh, you were you went to a Rammstein concert, um, and I went to the Rammstein concert the day after, and uh, which we both agree on is spectacular. Absolutely, to watch Rammstein. it really is. I was um, I visited uh, not, not not this year, but last year I was there, and this year I'm going again to Munich this time with uh, Remy. It's another person I'm going to have to have on this podcast at some point. Um, we met in was it Schönbrunn? Uh, next to the what's it castle? What do you call it? Isn't it Schumbrun? It's a yeah. It's I not... don't remember the name, but yeah, yeah it's... it's basically uh, where Sissi and Franz uh, had a residence. <laughs> yes, it's just a, a huge residency, very known. Yeah, uh, lots of tourists there, and yeah. um, well, not, it, it not was a bad basically place. yeah, it was basically uh, going up a hill from the castle itself. And you had a wonderful uh, look around on Vienna, and it was really good looking there. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the place where we basically uh, met IRL. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've got to say, I've, I have really fond memories of Vienna because there's just two things I profoundly like. Number one is that the traffic lights would blink when going from green to red. So that as you're driving, you can anticipate when the light's going to close. In our country, it just yes. goes to red. It's like you're driving at 60 kilometers an hour, and suddenly the, the red light's on, and you're just fully on the brakes, which I think is quite dangerous. And the second yeah. thing, the parking, as far as I'm aware, is free. At least where I parked with my ex-girlfriend at the time, it was... Because, uh, you know, you're parking next to Schoenberg. It's one of the biggest, most known sites in Vienna, and the parking was absolutely free. I don't know if that's, you know standard or all over austria but it was a it was a nice experience uh -huh. yeah we were once in brussels uh, like a long time ago when it was like the final voyage of uh in in high school basically and there is also something interesting about the the traffic lights because they they have a countdown they literally have a countdown when it's going to shift from green to red and the other way around. So, you know, turning off your engine, start, stop, whatever. And I think that it's absolutely hilarious that in Germany, we don't have such a thing. Like there is no blinking, there is uh, no uh, countdown. And very often it's really unoptimized in terms of, you know, having a green wave going through cities. So you always uh, start, uh, stop, accelerate, stop, accelerate. It's horrific. Yeah, but I mean, then again, if you go a little bit further down south into the Balkan region, you know, you'll realize that most places don't even have stoplights. So, so there's that part. Yeah, um, the bigger car wins. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the rule of the stronger, the rule of the arrogant. But We could yeah. say the rule of the arrogant kind of stood, stood in War Thunder as well, wasn't it? It was a bit, of a bit of a gamble of power. The person who had the most as the... Spanish say cajones, you know, the balls. He would be able to sort of get further ahead in the game. And then there is the good old flavor of the month premium. Um, <laughs> <laughs> remember the IS-6? Oh, God. I mean, the IS-6 um, was one I didn't really have a problem. Oh, was I, well, you know, I, I might have been the only person who never had a problem with the so-called Russian buyers, right? Because I think there was a, an area of time where flavor of the month was just trying to find the next Russian bias thing. But then again, I never had problems shot trapping stuff. So 
that could be an argument to be had. I think yes, of course. Um, it it really depends um, what your experience is, but um, and you're right that you know if you're looking for Russian buyers, you're finding Russian buyers. If you're looking for American buyers, you're finding you know American buyers and so on. And in the very early days, you had the Tiger Two, who basically ruled the battlefield, um, because as an example, you had the um, the, the, the Russian equivalent was the IS-2, you know, less gun depression, uh, less penetration, uh, much, much lower rate of fire. And if you pent the turret front of, an, of a Tiger II, it didn't blow up. It, it just was reduced to two crew. So you needed a second uh, shot, whereas the Tiger II could very reliably one shot the IS-2. But then, you know, there were all the funny pixels that... Uh, you aimed for a clean shot on the flat turret front and some pixels just simply said no. And this is where the Russian bias came from the Germans. But apparently um, on the Russian forums, it was then German bias, you know. And so it, it, the grass is always greener on the other side. Absolutely. You know? yeah. But I mean, if I had to choose between the Tiger 2 and an IS-2, I'd always choose the Tiger. Because the, of course, there's a helicopter flying over my, my house. Just see... Just as we start making this conversation, I can't even escape yeah. helicopters in real life. Um, but I was going to say the IS-2 for me was a, it was an abysmal vehicle to drive, extremely weak from the front. But you probably remember there were a lot of people that would drive it backwards. You would show the the rear of the tank, the engine, and just sort of soak up shots. I mean, you yeah. couldn't take advantage of any gun depression in that that case. But you were a little bit more survivable, I guess. Yeah. So um, there, there is also the introduction of the object uh, 248, which is basically an IS-2, but with a 100mm gun. And I also tried to uh, reverse driving, and to a certain degree it, it, it worked. Not because the engine uh, soaked it all up, but because you, had, uh, you didn't have like the, the slope inwards, that if you angled like the, the side armor, you then offered a... Um, a flat plate like mm -hmm. you have on the IS-2 and the IS-2 uh, Mod 44s, you know, and, and only by angling the hull, you, you basically had like the turret uh, or the, the armor values of a Panther with the side armor of a Tiger II. And many people were just uh, uh, confused by that. And especially the confusion was very often enough to make it work. But know? I also mm. think in general Russian tanks, at least from what I remember playing, they were never really made to be angled much. You know, it was German tanks that would excel at this sight scraping and, and trying to get into a position where you could, uh, especially like a Tiger One, because it's just a it's a box, so you have to yeah. angle. But with Russian tanks, it, it, this sort of, I guess, what we, the argument we could make about Russian bias would be more in the sense that German tanks to be played efficiently required a certain play style to be adapted, whereas a Russian tank could be played a little bit more, you know. Simplified. Straightforward. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit more straightforward. Whereas, and, and here's the funny thing, just to get into a bit more detail here, because it's really interesting. Um, there, there was also, if you think about the IS-3, even if you uh, angled it like a tiger, you unangled the the front wedge, you know, which was pre-angled, if you will, if you will. Mm -hmm. But it was still angled enough. If you showed that side flat, it was still. Um, angled on a vertical basis enough to bounce even a, a, a Jagdtiger's APHE round or APCBC round. And and when you try to do the side scraping in something like a Tiger, 
then two things were still there. There was still this, um, what I consider to be a smoke launcher, or was it an anti-infantry mini mortar? That is right at the edge where your gun barrel looks over and you had no gun depression, you know? And then when you offered the side armor to something like a T-3485, and it had the APH BC round loaded. You know, it did the funny thing with the with kind of almost ignoring the angling. And so in theory, you could say, yeah, German tanks are better in this. But when I tried this, you know, at reasonable combat distances of like, say, four or five hundred meters, I still got my ass handed to me. But T-3485 just bounced my shell, uh, even though I was in an ambush position and you know all those things and we see and when you see something like this and then you see something like the is6 happening right where then you uh, um, do actually testing like i did where it was with the um what was the chairman tank that got uh, with the premium heat fs the re251 right yeah the very had... the small light one yeah yeah and uh, that was really ridiculous because the hash round has 102 millimeters of penetration. The IS-6 has 100 millimeters of armor. And the stat card goes to 60 degrees angles of attack, right? But the IS-6 had, I think, 65 degrees of angling. So it was outside of the realm, even though, you know, hash has a particular wor uh, way of working. And you just couldn't pen it. And the heat FS round had so little post-penetration damage effect on an IS-6 that it basically had no, if you will, shrapnel effect or outside of the laser-like heat beam. And even if you directly hit armor, it was the time when the armor just went black and didn't explode. And that was just outright furious when the IS-6 just drove down a line, bounced everything that should pen, uh, taking not enough damage, and then just one-shotting you. And uh, even going through the turret front of a mouse, you know, where it had not enough pen, but because the mouse back in the days had 120 millimeters of steel and it was not rolled homogeneous armor, but cast iron or cast steel, it had the lower modifier. And with 207 millimeters, you could pen 220 millimeters of armor. And so you could deal damage to a mouse, and the mouse had to go for pixel hunting. And we also did the testing on the turret front, where, you know, it was various different layers, like it was at least two layers, and they had the wrong modifier. So in theory, even a panther should go through the turret front, but in fact, not even a Leopard 1 with the APDS could go through, right? And um, except if you hit like the machine gun port and then you had all those funny, uh, 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 um, all those funny scenes where somebody just sniped that right pixel where the machine gun was and, and said, uh, bro, I have no problem penning it. Or I also tried to make the sh uh, shot trapping work, which is, which was really unreliable for me, but for you, apparently it worked. So you see, um, in battle, it was really unreliable and I mean, also the cupola which was there there was the funny thing that even my yak tigers 128 millimeter um ap cbc round which used to be one of the strongest rounds in the game just was eaten up by the optics so you, you basically had to shoot at the angled part of the cupola where there was no optic to pen it 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 was 
just um, if you wanted to see Russian bars, you had all the arguments. If you were just a cold-blooded, uh, sweaty gamer type, you had no problem with it, right? It, it was really one of those very controversial things. And one last thing on that thing is that the T29 was also introduced, I think, a patch later. And there was a funny thing, because in War Thunder, usually all Amorax should just explode when they get hit. But it was two-stage ammunition on the T29, and it had the propellant part, and it had the shell part. And when you just snap the lower glazes, there was a hidden invisible armor plate internally, just right after the radio operator and the driver. So you could pen there with an APHG round from a long 88 and take out those two guys, but the ammunition wouldn't take any damage. And even shooting with an APDS round, the ammunition, the warheads would eat up the ammunition, go black, disappear, but the propellant charges wouldn't blow up. And that was also changed later. Just like with the IS-6, after a couple of weeks, somebody said, whoopsie-daisy, we made a mistake after the initial sales. So it's basically not really a case of Russian buyers, but money buyers or premium buyers, because they did it all the same with the Tiger II, SLA-16, where the armor tracks on the side of the turret, you know, which were the entire turret was covered, it could absorb a three-inch gun, the American on the Hellcat, for example, or the Chumbo 76. It could absorb, apparently, the APHE flat side-on, whereas on the normal Tiger II, it, the, the same armor didn't absorb it. So there was all sorts of shenanigans. And also the SLA-16's um, fuel tank would explode when getting hit by a shrapnel, despite it being diesel, after the initial sales. You know, so it, this is where Gaijin gets this uh, interesting reputation from. I mean, okay, because... let, let, let me stop you there, because, man, you were one of the most analytical people that I know. Um, you, you, you could probably ramble on for hours. I think you might just be more... Uh, educated than the Wolf on his Wikipedia team, but the so to, that's to, terrible. To, well, <laughs> well, that depends on the context. I mean, the the thing about shot trapping and and what you say is pixel chasing, I guess, or trying to you know pin pinpoint the the pixel that you have to hit in order to penetrate and, and do the damage. Um, I come I come from a bit of an old school gamer, and I don't know how much you recall, but back when I started making content, I was sort of joking around. We used to say, you know get good like that was that was a motto that we sort of had it was instead of searching for and I, I i feel bad because i think that mentality wasn't just really good in the game but i think it's a good mentality to have in life in general it's sort of like when you find an obstacle you don't necessarily go looking for that bias or the if or the why but you just sort of push through it for yeah, me um look i never noticed and I have to emphasize, I've never noticed these particular problems that most people were describing, whether it was close air support at the time or, as you mentioned, some of these premiums being a little bit... Like, yeah, there were tanks that were harder to kill, right? And there were tanks that were annoying to play against. And there were things that I hated playing against myself, you know, maybe when there was a... Um, like, what was that? Russian Shilka, right? The SPA. When that was added to the game, I was like, fuck, this thing is so strong. It, it made my playstyle harder because of the way that it interacted. But there's there's always a way you could counter it. Like if you say, okay, so I'm in a team and we're playing against 
a load of IS6s, then what I can always do is I can always, you know, rush B, Suka, get into a plane, and, and then do the damage. I don't know how it is now with all the all the changes they've done to spawn points mechanics and so not, but I think there was always a mechanic which you could use to your advantage to sort of fight against this so-called FOMO, the, the feature of the month. Because the very first time I heard feature of the month was the CL-13. It was, you know, a German Sabre, so it, it, was, it was changing the dynamic because it used to be MiG-15s on, on one side of Korea, spawning against Sabres on the other side of Korea, and that was pretty much 9 out of 10 matches. You'd see a couple of FADC shooting stars, a couple of MiG-9s, and then suddenly this Sabre's introduced, and now you've got Sabres on one side, Sabres on the other side, but this Sabre's now a little bit less powerful in its gun department, but it's faster. And so the play style was starting to change, and everybody was waving how this was just the, the next greatest thing. But if you think about it, in, in the development of War Thunder, every time they added a new patch, one of those vehicles in that roaster would be better. When the MiG-17 was added, that was feature of the month, right? Um, now you've got, I don't know what it is, probably one of those those newest jets, right? I guess MiG-29 or whatever. That's going to be the best thing. And in the next line of, of, of planes, there's going to be another one that's going to perform just marginally or, or or slightly better than the rest. And so you can go through and look for these supposed biases, but if we're completely honest, with the amount of vehicles this game has now and even had back then to me it seemed pointless to go looking for that supposed bias as opposed to just learning adapting improvising right in the words of, of bear grills improvise adapt overcome you just sort of try to find a play style that still works for you isn't going too much out of your way it's still efficient in what you're trying to grind and you get around the problem because you know there were people that had issues i namely recall i think the first video that put me out there on the map where I became an ego boy and, and, and so on, was a video I made, I don't, th I think I was playing the Panther 2, which has now been removed, I think, or is in the, in the... You can't research it anymore, but if you, so if had, you had it, it you, you still, still had it. Yeah. So I was playing the Panther 2, which I think in my memories will remain as one of those favorite vehicles of all time, because it was just so iconic with that night vision thing that probably still So much work. style. So yeah. much, actually, absolute style. It really is. A beautiful camouflage as well. And I think the map we were playing on, I forget what it's called. It's You know the map where there's balloons? It's on the coast, uh, like Normandy. No Normandy, yeah. Yeah. And we were playing against a team which had a lot of T-54s. And if I recall correctly, they were from 1947 to 1949. There was three of them. Or was it? 47, 47 49, 49, and 50-something. 50 54, maybe? You can you can check because um, I know that you're in game right now. You how do you know? Oh. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, there's the forty nine is the yeah. first one, then the forty seven, and then the fifty one. These the fifty one, yeah. So yeah. the forty seven was different from the other two in that it could be shot trapped. The way that its turret was put together, it allowed for shot trapping. And if you're playing in a Panther two against the T-54-1947, yeah. the only way to kill it from the front, other than shooting the gun barrel and, and then going around and flanking him, was to shot trap. And so the, the truth of the matter is that I could go into that game and say to myself, well, it's Russian bias, I can't fight this, uh, that tank is too strong, and just I give up. But with that mentality, you've lost before you've even started. 
And it same goes in life, same goes with everything you're doing. If you just set off as a, you're, you're setting off yourself as a failure, right? And so my mentality was just find the way to pull through. If nothing else, think of the satisfaction that there's a person on the other side of the internet who's playing the T54 1947. And he's in the mental state of, I'm playing the best tank in this match. I've got Russian bias on my side. I'm the greatest player of all time. I'm going to just dominate their team. I'm being down tier. This is so great. I've got all these bushes on my tank. I've, I've you know, paid for my premium. I've, I've, I've activated all my boosters. And then around the corner comes Orange in his, you know, white Panther 2 camouflage with a night vision thing that doesn't work and just shot traps you and you're dead in one shot. That yeah. is the energy that I was sort of feeding from is knowing that, you know, being the underdog is this really, really fun fun uh, um, experience. Yeah, a um, couple of things. Um, first of all, back in the days, the T-54-47 had a 200 millimeter turret front, according mm -hmm. to the stat card. And that has been reduced now to 100 millimeters. So there it's is that. And now, the, yeah, it's still angled and, you know, you have the funny pixel thing. Um, and, you know, I also saw a lot of experienced T-54-47 drivers that were just wiggling their turrets. They were just, uh, you know, accelerating and braking. So they were horizontally and vertically, um, you know, wiggling around with the weak spots or the area where you get shot trap. Mm -hmm. And when you then miss your shot, you know, the chance um, where they then in the meantime reload and you miss that one chance, they use you, your reload against you and you can't do really the same. No, that, that, that's Tiger true, but, mouse, whatever. but you know, and, you, you have to keep in mind that War from the Ground Battles was always based around lineups and I don't recall correctly what exactly that lineup for the Russians would have been, but I think the Panther 2 was 7.0 at the time and the T-54 1940. Nine would have nine forty seven would have been seven point three. So, the argument could be made that the person who was driving that tank, because if you remember the ZSU fifty seven, which is the SPA of choice, was seven seven. So the person making the lineup has an option, right? He can take this really amazing medium tank and go to a seven point three battle and have a chance of being slightly down tiered and dominating. But he's going to have an absolute crap SPA to pair with that at seven, uh, 3.7. What is it? The, because there used to be a huge gap between them, right? You went from 3.7 to 7.7 .7 in SPA. Nothing in between. So you've got no SPA to go with. You're limited with your plane choices because you're going to have to take something like a, a TU-2 or a, you can't take a MIG at the time, I don't think, because that was already like 7.377. So my, my point being is that Yes, you could have, like if you, at, at the time, if you took me and you gave me a lineup with the Jersey T-54 and you did all the turret wiggling and you were down tiered, yeah, it's undefeated. Like, I don't think how anybody could go up against a player of mine or your caliber or a bunch of the other guys that are in like pro teams if they were down tiered using this tank. But you have to understand that the majority of them weren't. That's why, the reason why I didn't notice this so much is because it just didn't happen. Right, most T-54s that I encountered in a Panther II were people who were stock, were people who um, had a really crappy lineup. And so it wasn't just that when I shot trapped them, I would you know, be doing something challenging. But most importantly, that person 
if they if they haven't done any damage yet, they were likely out of the game because again they had nothing else useful to spawn in. Because um, T fifty four nineteen forty seven comes after at the time I believe it was T forty four maybe T forty four one hundred. So they're not yeah. gonna, they're not going to spawn that in. Um, they don't have enough spawn points for like an IS three. But even if they did, IS three is you know pretty crap tank compared to the T fifty four. Uh, no SPA, like we mentioned, likely no uh, planes. So that person is out. And you've completely eliminated one player from the game. So the reason why I never noticed it or never really paid much attention, because I think in the grand scheme of the picture of the match, it didn't matter, right? I think it was the guy who was spawning in the milk truck and rushing to capture points and then spawning in a bunch of bombers, that guy would be more dangerous for me than the uh, the impending doom of having to do the shot trap yeah yeah well one one thing that um i also have to add here is um about the cast right um the the over the years you know you forget about some of the inequalities but for example when a plane is destroyed you mm -hmm. know the wing is shot off and you get the kill message it's not necessarily out you still can course correct a little bit and still can release your bombs you know spread the rocket fun around and when you then get killed by this after you actually killed the player that is also an inequality between okay so you mean like you know, you're in a tank and you're machine gunning a plane and you yeah. you kill them but they're still alive enough to be able to sort of revenge yeah. bomb you or, or actually revenge bombing in, in you because like you know how it goes you, you go into a match yeah the suicide you, bombing basically yeah, and you, you, especially especially one thing is that always uh, was uh, great inequality was the p8 with the five ton bomb right i uh, don't completely. think that is the case i mean it was it was it <laughs> it, was a, it's still the case um but now the germans also have like a um, 1.8 ton bomb on various different yeah planes. but i mean think think, think of the p8 think of the p8 in this way what you get when you spawn the P8 in is an extremely slow, extremely vulnerable plane that pretty much it's going to be hard not to get a kill, right? But what you're sacrificing is with a P8 is you're sacrificing time. You could be doing literally anything else in the game in order to have a small chart at getting a load of kills so you can then ship it off to Thunder Show or whatever and get your 5,000 Golden Eagles, right? You're doing it for the meme. I don't think any match, well, I shouldn't say any match, maybe there were like, you know, 10, 12 games over the course of, of all War Thunder games ever that were won just because the P8 managed to take an entire team out, right? But planes don't win matches. This was my number one argument for close air support, was that no match has ever been won because of close air support, because you still have to drive a physical tank or an SPA or a whatever into the capture point maybe now you can land a helicopter in it and that's you know maybe maybe my argument doesn't stand anymore but then again close air support today is nothing like what it used to be yeah um now we have laser guided bombs <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you also you have I'm, you also you have think, laser you laser joking. guided close to i mean uh, surface to air missiles right yeah so like uh, obviously it has changed and um, there is also one funny thing um, when we come to uh, the inequality, one story that I really have to tell, and that is of a Russian premium tank. Now we have rank 7, and we are about to get rank 8, probably, because we already have rank 8 with planes now. 
And there is the story of the 2S38, a Russian light tank that apparently barely is service now, but is um, a full battle rating under the highest battle rating that uh, there is with tanks. And um, it basically has everything. It has APFSDS, it has APHE, um, it has also proximity fuse HEVT rounds that kill, it has IRST, which is, you could basically say it's uh, radar lock without the enemy getting a radar lock warning. It is a different system, but in War Thunder it plays like this. Okay, so for me as an uneducated swine, because I'm not playing the game for the past five years, um, this is what, like a, a one of those light tanks with a faster firing gun? Yeah, the 57 like the ZSU-57-2, okay. TLDR. Okay. And and it's just um, effectively better. It also has a stupid crew placement. There are all three of the guys are very much in the front. The turret's empty, and the Amorek is surprisingly small for what it is. So you're shooting with your APFSDS basically through nothing uh, if you're a new player or uh, if you just get the side. And it just turns around and just nails you to death. Uh, just give me a split second. I need five seconds to close the door. Yeah, I have to warn everybody listening to this podcast that Napalm does like to ramble. Um here as well as in the YouTube channel. He is a bit of a non-stop talker. He likes going into details. I think I think this guy really ought to get a job at some sort of uh he could probably replace Chat GPT I was thinking about. Is he back? No, yet? I'm back. Okay, perfect. So you didn't hear what I just said. Perfect. Something about job and replacement. Yeah, you do you do know Chat GPT. Uh, that uh, is some sort of threat, a text-creating bot. Yes, from what a text-creating bot. It's extremely um, useful for certain, certain... Like, it's a tool, right? It's like if I gave you a hammer, you could, you know, you could go smashing nails, you could smash your finger. It depends on how you use it. But um, you are like that chatbot, but for Warthamer, because I think if I gave you any question related to the game, you'd be able to answer it in, in superb detail. And that goes to say... That even today, I could probably, you know, create a, a, a battle rating list of, of most of the vehicles and be accurate. But you go deeper than that. Like, cause you, you have so much information on penetration values and how different things work. Um, you're more, I hate using the word nerdy, but I, I also don't quite know the, the difference between nerd and geek. But I think nerd is the correct word. You're just a little bit more nerdy when it comes to the sort of analytical side of things. Uh, I don't, I don't mean that. knowledge about a specific topic that uh, in real life nobody cares about. <laughs> Something like that, I guess, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but honestly, um, to get a bit back on that statement, I'm not really playing that much uh, top-tier tanks, and especially I think I haven't touched chats in a year or so mm -hmm. because it's absolutely mad what's going on there. Like, I mean, but also um, you were never much of a plane player. You like? F f I was. I was. I I used to absolutely love props. I, I know, but uh, like as, as uh, you know, if you if you had to take a look at most of the content creators and you said like, what is the one thing they specialize in? For me, you were always the guy about tanks. Who also might be one of the only you. Actually, you're the only person that I know that actively plays boats, or at least you were interested in boats when they came out. Because most still of playing us, them, yeah, yeah. Most of us weren't. Like, for me, you know, the Warthunder that I would want back, even though I enjoyed 
tanks up until 1.69, um, I'm, I'm still a plain player. And the only thing I really miss about War Thunder, or War Thunder as, as its whole, is you know the dueling and the, the old jet battles and the sort of excitement. Um, and I also think that that was the part of the game that we lost that could have been so very crucial for retaining viewers on, on, on streams and so on, because people, people loved watching that stuff. Well, there is one uh, very interesting uh, statement that I want to make about planes. Um, if you look now at the tech trees of the various different nations, they are very, very long. You know, we have a lot of battle ratings, a lot of tiers. Um, but the funny thing is that the lower you go, low tier is fun tier, right? Where you just can uh, derp a little bit around without mm -hmm. uh, try hard sweating too much. And um, this is where I think the old flavor of War Thunder is still there, you know, where you, you just can duel others. And sure, where is the difference between a seal clubber and just somebody enjoying the game? You know, it's, yeah. it's I think, a fluent border. Um, but what I tried to say is the one thing, the most awful places in War Thunder are those where Gaijin uh, ch changes things. Um, because they're fiddling around, they're screwing up, they're making deliberate, imbalanced things so they can sell stuff more. And so top-tier chats that we currently have now, in a couple of years, will be the good old days. And... I've, I've, got a, I've got a hypothetical question for you, because yeah. I used to think a lot like you. I used to think, oh my god, they're just screwing everything over. But if you remember, like when I started playing, this was just after beta sort of closed off, the only jet for Americans was the A5 Sabre, and you had the MiG-15 Bis, and you had the ME-163 and the Kai-200, and I think the British actually had two Meteors, the long wing and the short wing. And maybe even the Mark 8, I'm not entirely sure, but that was, that was it. That was all there was. And all video games that are online, they're all made the same way, and that is that every year they have to come up with something new for top-tier players, because in a year's time, if I just play planes, I will have all the jets, I'll have them all spaded, I'll, I'll be bored of it. So you have to give these players something new. Obviously, this means opportunity for new premiums. Obviously, this means opportunity for new money. Um, but the, the reality is that I think it's not that they're forcefully or by, like, they're not doing it deliberately by forgetting the old part of the game. It's just their focus is always going to have to be new, new, new. And... You know, they're adding it at a rate, and I'm sure that their development team has a calendar, a schedule, mm -hmm. where they say, okay, we're now added, we've added the MiG-29. So they know how many more vehicles they physically can add because they're running out of uh, headspace, right? Unless they're going to go and develop the game into f futurism, they're going to run out of things to add because you're going to get up to, what, an F-22 Raptor, and then that's it. There's no more planes after that because they haven't developed them. Lockheed or whatever companies in America and Russia are developing these yeah. top tier, you know, advanced things, um, they're going to run out of those things. And after that, I mean, so they have to really think about where the game is headed and say, okay, so we can keep adding this content, let's say for the next five years. And then when we get to there, we'll, you know, I don't know, we're going to add some new mechanic or we're going to, uh, we're going to, maybe they're going to reset the servers. You never know. I'm still, you know, I still stand in the sense that if Gaijin was prepared to bring back an old version of the game, the way that, like, RuneScape did, where they just, you know, they took a game from 2007 and just said, okay, we're going to go right back to 
where this thing started and we're going to develop it from there. It's like going back to War from the Batch 1.23 in yeah. 2013 and saying, okay, we're going to go from here. But we're not going to add helicopters and we're not going to add ships and we're not going to add anything like that sort. But they profited too much from this to not introduce it again. I understand. Look, I mean, <laughs> it, as I'm older now and I'm no longer an infant child, um, you know, I start to understand that business, unfortunately, makes sense. You have to make money. And if you have the opportunity to make a lot of money, why wouldn't you? Right? Like, well, the, the, I think there was a really interesting statement when um, at, at the Wacken Open Air, uh, mm -hmm. I explained what War Thunder is. And he basically said, well, it sounds like the free to play games are the most expensive ones. And there is truth to that. Um, but to go to the statement, yes, you're right. There are some limits to what Gaijin can introduce. Currently, we are at the Leopard 2A6, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the current version that the Germans have, are the most modern is the Leopard 2A7V. So Gaijin can probably add one or two more versions to the Leopard, maybe one new IRST system, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and then make rank eight out of that right and then that's literally it for tanks but the problem is that this leads to two funny things first of all how will gaichin know if the the values they give to the armor the guns etc and, and the apf sds are correct because that thing is partially or overall classified because it's right now in service Right. Well, I've and heard so I've heard this... stories of of War from the forums being the <laughs> yeah. the biggest place for people to to reveal, do, you know, secret documents essentially. Yeah, unclassified material, and Gaijin is like, guys, don't don't, <laughs> because Gaijin can't use it. It's yeah. basically, um, I would exaggerate. I don't know if I'm exaggerating, but it's basically treason if you make the classified documents available. First of all, Gaijin can't use it. Second of all, you don't gain anything from this. And third of all, like I think that the Wolf on the forums might be um, a real great meeting point for um, you know certain state agencies trying to figure out what the enemy actually has now in active yeah. service. And if you think that uh, I'm making fun of this, well, I'm much closer to reality than otherwise. So that's one thing. And um, I think that this is, in a way, a very interesting development that I was not prepared to to see like this, right? And um, it's also interesting how far behind planes are. And to go back to the ship part, sorry to annoy you with this quickly here, but, um, you know, one thing that always annoyed me about uh, Gaijin was the inequality. Sure, there always had to be a new... Um, a new top dog, right? And let's say back in the days, it was the three big main nations, the Americans, the Germans, and the Soviets. And then you ran into the problem, what do you give the Germans once, you know, after the ME262, right? Because mm -hmm. then this is where the, the development start uh, stopped for a while. And then it took a while before the Germans got like US jets for the uh, West Germans and uh, Soviet jets for the East Germans. And, um, you know, you have also a little bit of interruptions. But the way that Gaijin is addressing this, particularly in, in, in the battleship faction, you know, because it's uh, patrol boats parallel to destroyers and cruisers, which is an awful design. And then it goes from destroyers and cruisers to battleships. And then you look at the Italians, which 
now just recently got their second battleship, which still has 12-inch guns, whereas they are fighting the Soviet super fantasy 12-inch guns, which have like so much more explosive, rate of fire, performance, you know, whatever. And they have like three battleships and one super battle cruiser. You go to the British, which have already um, multiple battle cruisers and battleships. And, and the Germans, which have a plethora of uh, battleships and battle cruisers. Oh, okay. Look, look, and, you're and, going you know, really, really into details in the ships, but I think. No, no. The thing is, the thing is, you. Why should you grind Italy? You know, why should you grind Italy at all? And let's, 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 why... be, let's be honest. I think ships for the game they bring in less than five percent of their income, right? I wouldn't say this because there is one thing that you don't know, and um, I think a lot of people are also not quite aware of what's going on. So just uh, let me tell the story. It hopefully takes less than three minutes. Hopefully. And you'll be amazed about Gaijin. So um, to end here, the thing with the battleships, you basically have a battleship with okay-ish 12-inch guns fighting battleships, multiple battleships with 15-inch guns, better armor, speed, AA, you know. And the reason for Gaijin was that they didn't find all the documents for the introduction of the Italian battleships, right? So basically, Italy had one battleship versus multiple battleships in other nations. But Gaijin should have pre-planned for that, you know? And so you have, despite having this huge variety of vehicles, there is no, there is no reason for players to go down that one particular nation. So you only see a fraction of what's going on. And now down to why Gaijin is still profiting massively from Nebel. First of all, whenever there is a new ship, you see tons and tons of, of uh, people exclusively playing premium ships, like nothing else. And some of the most profitable okay, isn't, ones Isn't are... that everywhere in the game? Isn't like every time a new patch comes out, or every Not time like a new that. premium, everybody's in the premium? Not like this, and uh, not not to that scale. Like I mean, it's but there's ridiculous. correct me if I'm wrong. There's also significantly less ships, or should I say, boats, in the game than there are tanks to choose from or planes to choose from. Right. That is partially. But also, correct. I have I have no idea how naval works. The only time I've ever played naval battles, ironically, was the YouTuber Cup, the finals, where I played with Slickby. And Kath and I think it was, um, it wasn't Scottish Koala. It was um, help me out. Well, I've forgotten all the names of all the guys who were making content with, but the um, oddballs, right? So it was the yeah. four of us, and we were playing against. Um, I don't know if it was Mike Goes Boom's team or, or, but anyways, it was. We sort of memed around and we said jokingly, "Let's let's make the finals a naval battle." And Sean, at the time, the commentator for Gaijin, whom I think he disappeared. He's no longer working for them. Um, that guy was, he was, I'll never forget his reaction on stream because as we were streaming, I was also watching the stream and he was just going crazy that we actually were crazy enough to choose um, ships. But the, you see, the problem I've got with, with boats and the reason why I'm going to always call them boats is because for a little unknown time, I actually played that game called World of Warships because World of Warplanes was shit. World of Tanks is probably a good game, but I don't don't like the way it plays. But World of Warships was genuinely really fun. 
because you had destroyers which were fast you had the battleships which were slow but packed a punch and then you had the carriers which combined my love for aviation but in a tactical way it was almost like playing chess on this big map where you sort of had to align where the torpedoes were going to come in and maybe foolishly but considering that i i spent a lot of time in the early days of war thunder we had a lot of maps that were naval there were a tremendous amount of japanese versus american um back then it was still all historical battles you know where you would take off from carriers yeah. and yeah. to me that's um there was a bomber um the japanese bombers were renowned there was one particular patch i'll never forget which was uh, it was known because if you had a, a full squadron of those bombers they could take out the enemy i don't know if it was carriers or the airfield but it was it was a really really um you know fun and and, and stressful way to play against and, but back then nobody called the japanese buyers you know where there was a there was the meme uh, all your base belonged to us where people would just spawn in year two bombers full bomb load and just take out the enemy airfield and the game was over yeah right that's what i made my initial fortune of civil lines but you see maybe i'm wrong but these types of moments that no longer exist and they haven't existed for years the moments where because this was the type uh, maybe i'm one of the few players but I, i would be willing to say that the majority of us if you were in that match and you were on any team and you weren't playing that year too you were still having fun because you were like wow what the hell just happened i want to try that right and then for the next couple of matches you would you know maybe you'd call up your friends and you'd all go into one massive squadron and that was back when it was sort of gaming for me was communal it was this idea let me go up on skype let me get my friends let me hang out and then that just stopped with all the grinding and all the the you know the I don't know, the fun was taken away somewhere. You know, we used to always play squadrons. We used to always um, find ways to do these 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 fun tournaments and uh, find funny ways to play. And I met a lot of really interesting individuals through this. Like you'd go into a match and you would... Wasn't there this, this thing where you could talk to somebody in private during a match? Wasn't there some sort of ah, way to filter? Was a feature, yeah. Right? But you know what I mean? You, well, could, you could write to a specific person. Exactly. Chat, I know that. Yeah. It's like you could, you could reply. Like somebody on the enemy team would be like, hey, Orange, um, like we've, I don't know, uh, spam of B-29s from this squadron. And you were playing on a certain map and you knew exactly where they're going to go. And the, the point was that this other person, he wasn't, he wasn't doing it so that his team would lose. It wasn't like it was, oh, it's Orange. Let me give him some tips so that he can... Make, so I can get into a video, right? The idea was that he genuinely knew that those bombers would be annoying because, let's say, the squadron was renowned for climbing into space. So by me being made aware of those people, I could then go and take them out. And if I was in the right plane, like if you're playing, what was that, 262 with the Narwhal, right? The 50 millimeter gun. Perfect. So if I know there's a bunch of bombers, I'll just go farming. And um, I miss those days because I think there was a moment where just chat became dead. And the only people who typed in chat were, you know, people who would rage, people who do some kind of advertising. And I don't recall when it was exactly, but there was a moment where I actually turned off my in-game chat completely. You know, I went from playing this game the way a normal player would to the level where my sounds were turned off, my chat was turned off, my DMs were turned off. I just isolated myself. 
And partially, yes, because I was a content creator, because I didn't want, mm-hmm. you know, people spamming me swear words in the middle of a stream. Um, but I also feel like some some of that spirit of the game's innocence was lost, that it just wasn't quite quite as fun. Because like, if I ask you right now, what's what's your favorite, most memorable moment of War Thunder, what would you say? What game? Ooh, that's what, a good you know, one. What game mode? What what vehicle? What's that one thing? Because I still recall matches I played, you know, nine thousand hours ago. I recall them. Yeah, like yeah. It was yesterday. Um, the the most memorable win that I had that was totally unexpected was in the Kika actually, mm. and and I, I think it it goes back to RRB when I switched basically from Air Arcade to RRB right. And I had the Kika. It was fully stock. And we were on this huge map where the Japanese had the carriers and the US had to start from the airfield on land. And it was um, shortly after the introduction of the B-29, you know, Mm -hmm. lots of turrets, huge bomb load. And they could actually win by bombing the carriers. And it was spammed Um, out massively, right? Exactly, exactly. And I was there and I was, uh, you know, I had the 130 millimeter, which was inaccurate. Uh, and it was the patch where the 30 millimeters barely did any damage. I had stock belt, you know, with practice mm-hmm. rounds and all the fun. And I think you had only, what, 50 rounds in that one. And I survived I think, the match. I think it might be, it's either 60 or 120. Like From my head, I think it's not too bad, but it's not, I think it's 60 rounds on the Yak 15P. You can, yeah. This is me going from the top of my head. I know you're in game. You can check, but I think the Yak 15P had like 50 or 100 or 50 or 60 rounds. Yeah. The Kika would it's, have 120. No, the 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 Kika has for a single gun 50 rounds, but you could equip a second gun which you could research. Really, only uh, 50? Yes, only 50. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, it was terrible, and so I survived the match, you know. And then uh, we actually. It was also the the patch where I think the Bearcat was extremely powerful. And, you know, the Kika, especially stock, it just couldn't get up to speed. It has no acceleration, no energy retention, no performance at all at altitude, like a really bad jet, really bad. And it also couldn't turn at all, you know, bad wing surface area, etc. Now, what I'm trying to say is that I actually survived the match to this point. And it was amazing because um, there was a B-29 back at our carriers and we actually defeated the Bearcats, the P-47s, whatever, right? And uh, uh, suddenly we noticed, oh shit, half of our carriers were gone. If I'm not mistaken, there were four carriers and uh, it was also the patch where the BTD-1 destroyer, which had two torpedoes, could one-shot a... A carrier with one torpedo and so two btds going as- around the side could end the match mm-hmm. and um one of the btd i think it was this b29 which perfectly dropped the bombs and took out already the first two carriers and i was like holy shit i barely had any fuel left i had only like 10 15 rounds of ammunition left you know and it was stock not upgraded gun mm-hmm. uh, and um barely any fuel, no speed. I was heading back. I was hammering in chat. We need to get this B-29. And I was halfway there. And uh, it it uh, bombed the third carrier. And it bombed it like um, 
like the the length of the ship, you know, to make sure every bomb hit because it needed multiple ones. Yeah. So it had to turn around for the fourth carrier and he came towards me and he was aware that I was coming for him and I was like uh basically for the emperor, you know, <laughs> fully going in and I I I threw all my uh all my uh um shells in the basket and he dropped the bombs bombed the carrier the carrier was dead and i was like and was just going for that wing <laughs> and by miracle multiple shells hit registered and saw off his wing and because when you kill the enemy players the tickets drop faster we actually managed to win despite our base being destroyed and also ticking down by I think 50 points. Yeah. That was the most memorable win. And after this, you know, you're just in front of the PC, you're shaking, you're in disbelief <laughs> what just happened. And and oh. it, it was just like years after this, I still remember it that clearly. And I also remember a battle on um, Mostock in arcade, where we was playing the Tiger 2105. And I had a, sniping duel at distance and um i got 15 zero in arcade despite the planes because my team had enough aa and enough uh planes in the air to shoot down the enemy cast and i was just on the flank sniping and i was hauled down i could cover my turret behind the building and i was just sniping and sniping and sniping and i was reducing the enemy team that hard that we actually managed to win and 15-0 in arcade with a single tank is still the best result to this day so that was uh, uh amazing give me another five seconds i have to close the door again because my nephews are little monsters <laughs> yeah man that really brings back memories though the old historical battles that was uh that was a time. Quite quite a few good matches I can recall from that area, hundred percent. Or even back in the old days of arcade, where it was grinding for, I think it was like twelve hundred kills or something similar like that. The very first, um, it's called Indian Summer back then. It's the first. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, I was just mentioning the uh, the Indian Summer event, which is the the first grinding event, because that brings back memories. I had the two era cobras and the f6 f hellcat arcade battles and just grinding but when you were talking about your story about the key coat, you know there was one major change that that they've done it was one of those changes that i don't think got enough uh feedback or like not not enough people spoke of it but there was a cheeky change i don't know when it happened you no longer see what the enemy's playing but in the very oh, early yeah. days, when you spawned into a game, you wouldn't just see who you were playing up against. You wouldn't just see, oh, okay, there's orange, there's napalm. You'd know exactly what vehicle they were in. And this is me saying it as a Condon Crow. That's and actually, ironically, both of us here are, as far as I'm aware, we're in the, maybe there's like 12 of us that spaded everything. Right? I, I don't know. Do you know anybody else who at some point spaded all the vehicles in the game? Did you meet anyone um, or? I never, I never uh, spaded everything, but I always came very close. Oh, you've um, never actually uh, done it. 
Uh, no. Um... Well, it could it be then? Could it be that Orange is still the grand winner? <laughs> well, there was there was a there was a uh, there were multiple patches in a row where I had everything that you could buy in uh, as as tech three vehicles go. Yeah. And um, the problem for me was that very often Gaijin went into this uh, cycle of adding things. You know, um, for the British, it was new 20 millimeters or where they um, took away the, the, the engine, the supercharger and re-added them, but you still had to replay them, regrind them. And the same goes for multiple tanks that got then smoke launchers. Yeah. And uh, the latest addition was drones to a lot of the light tanks. I think so you, you, were, just, you were a little bit too late to it. Like I was, I, when I started spading, like seriously, it was around about the same time that the grind for me to get God of War started, and that was before one point six nine. Um, and yeah, then it became on. And I think if I didn't leave Warhammer for the reasons that I left, I would have become mostly frustrated by the fact that I, even as a content creator who's getting gold per month, who's getting gold from affiliate links, who's you know, I wouldn't be yeah. able to do it. And and what I wanted to say before was that, you know, if I wanted to, to grind and spade some shitty bomber and I was going into a match, in the old days, everybody would see what you were playing. They wouldn't just go, oh, there's Orange, let me go stream snipe him. But they would be like, oh, there's Orange playing a shitty bomber. Hell yeah! Uh, no, no, no. It, it was it it was it was not showing what the enemy was playing it, but mm -hmm. it was the little icon. It was the little icon of the plane. I think. And a lot of the I think it was. I think first you could see what they were playing, and then they took that away, and it was just the icon. And the icon, in a way, was enough. But yeah. the reason why it was good is, as you mentioned before, there was the BTD destroyer, which had the torpedoes, and so it posed a dangerous threat. Now, if you don't know this threat exists, if you don't have that guy on the enemy team who goes into private chat and tells you, "Hey," Um, there's two guys flanking the map on the left-hand side. If you don't go after them, you're going to lose the match immediately, and we're all going to have a bad time. So knowing what the enemy was playing, it allowed for you to sort of adjust your play style. If there were a lot of bombers, because back then, you didn't have the four bomber limit. Everybody could be in bombers, theoretically. And yeah. it, I think it helped form also a mindset of thinking. You know, no one match was the same. Whereas when they removed that, suddenly... You always played more or less the same. You would sight climb in the same general area. And um, I think some of that preparation was taken away where yeah. you could spawn in and say, okay, so I'm in this plane. There's four bombers in enemy team. Hmm, hmm. All right, let me, let me adapt for that. And also, the bombing targets, I think, ruined it. I remember this goes, I think it was, it was Berlin. This is the the very very old old version of Berlin map that no longer exists for for years now, but the way it was built is that it had an assortment of pillboxes that were in us in this curved area, and I would I remember playing the Lancaster, which is a dreadful bomber, but the way you would play it is that you would sort of line yourself up with those pillboxes and then you just fly over them and you just spacebar. And space bar and space bar and it was it was fun because it wasn't just let me fly in a straight line and be afk for a bit and then get to a target point and just spam all the bombs in or even even better now i think you have the automatic thing right we can just like press one button and all the bombs will drop 
yeah. and then back to base and rinse and repeat. Back then, the incentive was go low with the bomber, dive down, use the that reticle bombing thing to be accurately dropping bombs on all these pillboxes whilst you defend against a couple of enemy players, not the whole team that they all dive on you. And maybe you shoot one of them down, maybe you don't, you get shot down and you rinse and repeat. That was bombers. And yeah, well not quite. Um Yeah, I mean in most cases it was it was, you know, dive, bomb, die. That's it. And that was that was the bomber's life. It wasn't very exhilarating, yeah. but it very often depended on the map as well. Like there, there, mm -hmm. there are air RB maps where you would spawn at such an altitude with your bomber, especially, you know, heavy or strategic bombers, that if you just dive just a little bit, just a few degrees, you know, you mm -hmm. would pick up so much speed that you would um, actually go over the enemy fighters without them being properly able to pitch up. And you would be able to drop your bombs, and after this, with the altitude advantage, you just could climb uh, indefinitely and just could, uh, you know, hide in space. This was a problem with the B-29 and the mm -hmm. TU-4. And um, after this, by the um, especially when you say the thing about the reticle, the holographic reticle, they removed it um, as a punishment for the tu4 you know which oh you mean you out. mean the one that's this visible in third person yeah i completely forgot that actually used to exist exactly yes, that's the way we used to bomb i apologize yeah. I, used to, I used to think we had to go into that view which had like the zoom no you're flying in third person looking at the whole play and there was a tiny little circle and that was yeah. enough and it would actually turn it was yellow and it would turn red when you were on target correct uh, something like this, yeah, but when it actually changed color and you would then drop the it's space too late, bar, yeah. it's too late. Yeah. So you actually have to, because of also the, the split second delay, mm -hmm. you'd had to press just before the actual cross would go yeah. over. But the, once the you thing. once you learn that rhythm, you could, yeah. you like, it would take you maybe five matches to get used to it. And then that was the grind. Yes. You know, and it was efficient. Yeah, and, but I also um, think it was I, it was a non-destructive. Also, one thing, mm -hmm. just to interrupt you, um, I was at one point in arcade so stupidly good with it. You remember on African Canyon where there were the uh, pillboxes and the medium tanks, and the medium tanks would slowly uh, drive towards you. Yes, I was so good in my B seventeen, and I shit you not, that from the eight one thousand pound bombs that I had with me, um, I actually managed to. Uh, connect seven to them from five kilometers altitude on the tanks. I, I kid you not. I was that good. On the driving targets from five kilometers upwards. Man, you've now reminded me of the days where I could shoot all the eight rockets on the Sabre and hit all of them and get eight kills reliably from any distance. Like... <laughs> like you you get you get really um you know back in the good old days when i used to have the skill right and, i mean no it's not that i used to have years the skill. later you look back but the and, thing is i realize... still i still have that skill i i'm convinced right now if i could boot up the game and it was patch 1.69 and everything was the way it was i would immediately be still able to do it i'm convinced of it i think it's like riding a bike once you get the feeling of the mouse because I, I know right now, I haven't played War Thunder in, in, in months. And even when I did, like I would log in just, just for a game and be like, oh yeah, this is boring. 
I could still duel people and dominate them. Like, these are things that you, you know, because it is 10,000 hours after all. You know, if you were, I don't know, suing shirts for 10,000 hours, you'd, you'd be able to do it whenever. I don't think it's something you lose. Once you put so much effort into something, it stays. The, the one thing I'm happy about War Thunder, and one of the reasons besides the fact that the 10,000 hours that I invested in this miserable game gave me this amazing English, which I will now use to try to develop a business and so on and so forth. But the the real reason why I'm happy is that I could have spent these 10,000 hours playing some fantasy game like League of Legends or even RuneScape. I love RuneScape, but 10,000 hours in RuneScape gives you no applicable information outside of maybe the words that I used in there. But War Thunder is based on real life, right? So... I will go to my grave knowing so much more about World War II history than I would normally if I hadn't played this game. Yeah, because it gets you started and you then, uh, le let's say as a normal person, mm -hmm. uh, I absolutely agree on the statement that I would actually uh, tune it up to 11. Because first of all, also in the game, you make connections that you otherwise would have never made. Yes. And, uh, you know, when we met together with Mike and uh, Max and all the other guys back on the Gentleman Hangar, you know, uh, in, in TeamSpeak, you know, um, you, you make so many connections and then you see the people going on on the Internet and, and going a, a different paths, you know, and then you uh, realize with uh, a lot of the uh, people that you meet there that they are becoming professional uh, historians and so forth um, and then you look at your path and you also uh, kind of moved on from where you basically started and um, the same goes for the vehicles like when you when you're just you know sitting in front of the pc and just absorbing the documentaries you would never know that the germans had a, um, a, a concept tank or a um, prototype tank like the RA251 that never made it into production or that there are some various different um, variants of the Panzer IV which have fundamentally different capabilities you know mm -hmm. and the same goes for the AA and how that actually meets when you realize what uh, when and somebody says well this tank had a disadvantage here but had an advantage there what it actually could mean in battle and obviously um, you then have to still think a bit further for yourself, realizing that you are not there in a real-life scenario with infantry, uh, with where you are bound into a command structure, you know, that you are part of a, of a tank spearhead and that you know your flanks are secured mm -hmm. by another um, uh, part of the overall command, etc., you know, and that you have an actual specific target of for example clearing uh well a mainly village. that mainly that you don't have the risk of dying right yeah exactly and um this is like uh when we then look at real life events they are still fundamentally different but in a certain aspect you know that issues could be there that somebody else who doesn't play a, a, a game that mm. tries to replicate certain aspects more or less down to historical or, or uh, down to the document level right yeah um 
where what that means i mean for me it's it's really great i was i was driving a lot to this this creation town where um, the girl oh, one of the girls i was dating was living and on the way there i would drive past probably the biggest um war museum in our country and what they have is they have a zsu 57 parked outside they have a t-34 no sorry t-54 actually that's like halfway through a billboard like as if it's driving through it and there's also a sherman park there and you know if i was just any other regular person i would drive past those these amazing vehicles and just think oh tank right but it's not it's to me it now means so much more and um whereas obviously i don't i don't feel that hard for tanks or that strong for these planes are still like for me I want to see a Messerschmitt in real life. I just—it's just my favorite plane of all time. Uh, it was—it was the first. You know, those plastic model planes you can put together, right? The, yeah. the first one I had was a Messerschmitt, and and then ironically, the plane that started the name of the Orange Doom was the BF one nine G ten because I was putting on the decals. And I thought, oh well, this would be a great name. So, ironically, life sort of gives you these things, and what I realized was also that the depth. You know, I'm, when I started cycling, you know, because you mentioned before how a lot of us have changed and we've, we've taken up different paths. For me, what I loved about cycling was that I started to discover the world that was right around me. I yeah. realized there were these hills and roads and sites that I didn't know existed. And they were like, you know, five minutes away from me. They're in my backyard. If you If you drew a radius of how far you can walk... Most people have that radius. If you if you so you, if you go on Google and you type in uh, radius on a map, right, it'll give you a little tool and you can put a location where you live and you make the radius happen. For most people, that radius of whether it's five, ten, fifteen, fifty kilometers would be entirely painted in red in areas they have not yet researched. Most people don't know where north, east, south, and west are. They don't know what's right around the corner and I found that out in a really weird way because as I was starting to explore the world and, and cycling and and I was talking to other friends and they were like oh where were you and I would tell them a location you know like a nearby hill that I thought everybody knew they're like oh where's that and then I started realizing yeah, just it's how crazy it's yeah it's crazy how you know there was there was a really good quote from actually I think it was Joe Rogan on one of his stand-ups he said I know I'm stupid and yet, I'm still somehow smarter than most of the people I meet. And I started thinking about it. I was like, wait a minute. For most things, that's how I feel all the time. You know, it's like, it's, it became almost every day, like rudimentary, these things. And then I would talk to somebody, and they, they wouldn't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, so, it's like as if, imagine if you're talking to somebody, and they don't know who Queen is, you know, the, the, the band. Like, yeah. have you heard the Bohemian Rhapsody? And they're like, what was that? Like if that was a response from somebody, I would literally think less of them, whether they like it or not, whether it's a nice thing or not. Like, it's I forget what the word is in English. In it's sort of like general. I'm sure German has a wonderful word for that. But um, you know, it's like general knowledge. It's yeah. stuff that you that every person ought to know. And as you grow up, I think you start expanding it. And so you and me were a little bit more nerdy. We're into planes and tanks. Okay, so you, that circle that's your general knowledge gets sort of, you know, gets squeezed on one end. And maybe you like you, you 
okay, so like personally, I don't, I don't give a shit about math. So, okay, math goes away, some general knowledge of mathematics, biology. Um, I didn't mention, but you're a chemistry major. You, um, you know way more about chemistry than I'll ever do. I was never good at chemistry or interested in it. So for me, I will have squeezed that part and it you know, becomes smaller and I, I wouldn't be able to give you any chemical, uh, uh, molecular, uh, they're not equations, but nomenclatures or whatever they're called, right? Um, but what I've done is I've enabled myself to have another part of that circle sort of bubbled and that's, like let's say my knowledge of, of English or pronunciation or maybe it's um, you know the knowledge on bikes or some other other category that you're strong in and I feel that once you start crafting this circle of your general knowledge in all the things that you find really important you know your favorite music and your art and your movies you find that that stride sort of works and it's like it's like a play style wouldn't you say like the way in in in, in Wolfley, you have found your playstyle, and I, back when I still played, had my own playstyle. You know, it was whether it was spamming out close air support or doing some reverse boom and zooming. But you find that thing that works for you, and you apply it now to real life. For me, that's what I learned from Wolfley the most is that, and that's why I also made there was a video I made last year. I think it was called "The Gamer Is Dead: Long Live the Gamer," with the idea being that. I think games are bad. For most people, they're not giving them anything. They're just soaking up their time and they're these people are stagnating, right? They're not moving forwards in life. They're not learning or, or educating or earning money or you know, getting better with women or whatever. But yeah. I see where it's going. Yeah, you know, like the what I'm trying to say is that the gamer does possess a certain skill set. It's just you have to learn how to apply it. Because unfortunately, yeah. if you're you know if you're a mathematician, then you're very good at solving complex equations, and it's, it's very simple to see where that person could strive. If you're good at programming, it makes sense you're going to go and get yourself a job in programming. But a gamer, you know, there's this dream like, yeah, I too wanted to be a content creator. Oh, I'll just play video games for for a living, and I'll just make videos, and I'll just I'll just be rich, you know. Like, pff, doesn't work, Sonny. I mean, it could work, and I'm glad I gave yeah, it a I try, mean- but. Yeah, I mean, there is so much competition from people that just have a, a naturally a better skill at editing, uh, getting footage and um, bringing over the uh, message, which is something that I, when I watch my very early videos, which is always like full cringe mode. Like when, when you're as a content creator mm-hmm. watching your your early creations, you're like, damn, son. But I'm, I'm the contra. I was, I was just talking, because I was talking to Spit about this. The, the first video I ever uploaded, I still left it on there, the A26C Invader. I don't cringe. I just, I look at it and I think to myself, that kid spoke horribly. And now yeah, look where he is. It's a testimony to how how much you have evolved. How you, no, but how also like how determined I was to make it work. Like for me, that's that's, you know, I I've done it once. You know, I've built the channel with fifty thousand subs. I built the Twitch community with twenty five thousand people. I, you know, this, these are things that I've done. If I was able to spade all planes and tanks and this shit in Waltham, then what's to say I can't, you know, do the equivalent of some part of life? That's yeah. there's a thing that sort of pushes me forward now where it's not you know I've um, I don't want to look for excuses no more because I feel like and don't take this the wrong way but 
because we all do this. I still do it. I try not to do it. Most people do it every single day for everything. Um, you know, you present them with a business idea and they go, ah, yeah, but it won't work because of whatever reason, right? They'll, most people will stop at the first obstacle. It's like, you know, they're, they're playing War Thunder and they've just bought their first tank and there's their 15th match in the game and they get, you know, they get killed by Orange and his Sabre, right? They get, they've bought their premium, they get, you know, shit rocketed from five kilometers away by 1.69 Orange Doom and they're just like, ah, screw this. You know, they're not ready to go through the learning curve of, okay, let me get the SPA, let me learn how to play the SPA, let me learn how to combat this person in the plane. Mm, okay, I'm getting good at it. Now I know how to fight against it. Now I'm going to look for some alternative ways, right? They're not adapting their play style. They're sort of, they're trying to get the world to fit in line with their vision. And yeah. I don't know if that's I used to be quite strict against America. I used to say that's an American way of thinking. I don't. I, I think it's just a credit card way of thinking. Is this, you know, can we pay our way out of it? Can we just? Because I know you mentioned editing, right? But what's preventing you from outsourcing it, right? Because I, I, I also hate editing, um, and people don't realize that we have to make our own thumbnails and we have to edit our own content and we have to do the commentary we have to buy all this equipment we have to learn how to use the equipment and you know if you have a team behind like people I, I would love if you asked me about six months ago six months ago I was still working in the kitchen I was still uh, in love with food but I guess what I would have wanted to do would be like Gordon Ramsay I'd love to travel around the world uh, cook for people don't have to worry about cleaning anything they do all the footage, <laughs> they do all the recording, right? That's that's the dream life. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, and, and you, you look at that and you think, but it's not doable. Yes, yeah, because you don't have a team. Yeah. But, well, I have, I have a similar experience, but from a different point of mm -hmm. view, right? So um, I was doing like two years ago my master thesis and I had to go to East Germany to do it. Like it was... Uh, Shortly after the first Corona lockdown, we still had like, uh, you know, you had to wear a mask and everything. And uh, we didn't know where things are going. And um, I still had a connection. Like it was the last straw when, uh, for asking. And um, I knew a guy, but it was like 500 kilometers away from where I mm -hmm. was living. And um, I just asked like, hey, do you know anybody who can offer me a, a master thesis place? And he was like, well, I can I can offer you actually one. And um, I was really skeptical. So to give you a very long story in, a, in, in just a couple of sentences. He had a problem, mm -hmm. like a business problem. He, need to, he needed a, a certain product purified. And they ran into problems. And they didn't know how to solve the problems with the purification, you know, without creating other problems. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, okay, there is an empty room. This is your chance. Go for it. Your, uh, the, the amount of money you can spend is basically zero. You have to ask me for everything, you know, and, and, and uh, you, you have to um, give me arguments why you need the expenditure. And I was like, okay, that's my last shot. And then you go through this uh, phase where you have a little bit of an idea. You think, yeah, this can be done. And then you read more into the literature. You, you 
get into more stuff. And then with your previous knowledge, you suddenly realize there are some fundamental problems that I have not really a good idea how to solve it quickly, cheaply, or easily. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, a in principle, easy task becomes very, very complicated. And then you are kind of in a situation where you need to come up with ideas, where you need to apply all your knowledge and skill. And at the end of the day, I built from scratch, starting with the tables and chairs and all the equipment and all the people in that area that I did not know, right? I basically built my own laboratory where I was able to purify a waste product to, um, what's it called, to a very high grade. Mm -hmm. Basically, you could put it into food. And um, I did it from start to finish. I got um, a very good grade on my master thesis, and I'm endlessly proud of it. The fun thing is that afterwards, I continued to work in that company with my own uh, laboratory and all the stuff that I built. And then I got the task of educating a guy that still was um, doing something else. Like um, I got my master of of science mm -hmm. degree and, um, you know, I'm a chemical engineer, basically. That's the specific um, title. And I was tasked with educating this guy because in the company there was no other way to teach him the various different points he had to learn like on the on the learning table you know on the, the basically with the check marks and it just so happened that the remaining tasks were fulfillable with basically my uh laboratory or within my laboratory and um the boss that then later got really uh, impressed by how much work I put into this and that I actually got done. For me, it was a matter of um, eat or die, right? Um, do it or die trying. Mm -hmm. um, and he was impressed by how much work I put into it, how much, how consistent my results were, where I, you know, I was a bit lucky, but I also kind of hoped that I know what I'm doing and I was really um, I was really happy when it then actually worked and I was then tasked to teach this guy who showed no initiative who was really inconsistent with his grades and um, then I realized something like when I was a little child and I was going with my grandpa you know distributing uh, beer and water and lemonade. That's basically our family business. I was always looking uh, into the, the bureaus of the various different companies that we were delivering to. And there were people in front of the PC staring at the PC and just hammering in uh, numbers and working. And then, and I always thought I'm never able to achieve this kind of knowledge. I have no idea what they're doing. And all of a sudden, just a couple decades later, I'm the one teaching somebody that has no idea about this stuff and actually being successful in educating them. And that gave me an immense amount of, of uh, feeling of accomplishment, of, I would say, pride, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm at this stage right now where I 
look back and I look at this very long list of achievements and whenever I am currently where I'm working at right now and I'm um, confronted with a problem where I have no real initial idea how to solve it, I'm always looking back and think to myself, I have overcome worse than this, right? And I just kind of calm down, get to the task and somehow get it done, right? In a good way where the company actually can use the results. And um, I think I recently was out there uh, with a friend of mine where we have met for the first time in, in years, right? Um, and uh, she was asking me, hey, what, what would you make differently if you could live your life again? And I was saying, you know what? I always, I would still feel the same about that I have in general missed chances, uh, missed chances, right? Mm -hmm. That I could have also done this and that. Yeah, there are mistakes that I would not try to repeat, like, for example, downloading War Thunder for the first time. <laughs> but <laughs> um, other than this, um, I think that the way that you live and the experiences that you made in life, they are actually what, you, what um, shaped you, shaped you to the person that you are. And in hindsight, you could just select the various different opportunities that brought you a step forward and would try to avoid the scenarios where you failed, where you just simply didn't succeed or where at the end of the day it turned out that you're a massive douchebag. But at the end of the day, also making those experiences is very important because they are also part of the overall success story. And never think that you actually could end up as a Mary Sue, you know, a person that is beloved by everybody, yeah. that can do everything from the very start. No, it's it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. And when you have achieved this and people know the way that you've walked, then, only then, you have respect. And not just because you have a big fucking gun in your hand, right? <laughs> that is true respect. And the effort that you put into, let's say, a master thesis, that is um, a different kind of work than being there sorting out empty bottles which i've done for a very long time you know it's um it's this acad academic thing that very often gets talked apart but it's also a different work that you know is hard when you actually do it it sounds easy you know just research something just write stuff together you know it's so it's it sounds so easy easy you know purify this salt from this and this impurity. Yeah. It, it sounds so easy, but then actually doing it. That's the, and th this is, what you're talking about is exactly what I've noticed is happening with the world. And I've, I've begun doing something which is very drastic, but I've started isolating myself from, from certain factors, including maybe certain friends, certain groups of people, because what you speak about you know, is you, you accomplish something. And sometimes you might feel like you don't get the credit for it. Like I know I know what I've done in War Thunder, what I missed, what I lacked was the perhaps a certain amount of gratitude 
from certain people that were able to say, oh my God, you've, you know, you're, you're this really great player. And I say this not because it would have hurt my ego, but because I saw that there were so many other players like myself that were the best duelists, the best, you know, players, really efficient players, all these guys that were consistently getting top in matches and they were unable to really showcase their skill and get something for it because there was no esports system in place, because there was no tournament system in place, because we had no ranking system, right? It felt like, imagine if, maybe thesis is a bad example because even a master's thesis, realistically speaking, nobody is going to now go to your university and pick up your thesis in the library and start reading it, right? Because there's thousands upon thousands of others. But there are these projects that a lot of the times we do that stay with minds of others. Like me and you, we make videos. And to this day, I'll still get comments on a video made seven years ago. And yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, me actually too. You know, and you go back and read it and think, yes. God damn, that was a different time, bro. Yeah, but also <laughs> you also think, wow, this, this thing has touched some people. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I started changing drastically that which I do today is because when I was working in the kitchen and I was I was doing all right. I mean it was it was a fun life to have. But essentially my life looked something like this. I was, you know, cooking to make a living. The money I made I would invest into the bike because I need the bike to have a certain sense of freedom. And then to in reduce the stress that I get from the job which I have, which is cooking, which is staying in this closed environment with toxic people, with you know hot oil everywhere and, and a steamy air, to reduce that stress, I'm gonna go and visit my girlfriend on the other side of the country, and when I'm there, I'm gonna do nothing but ride my bike, lay in bed, watch Netflix, and do nothing. And it was it was a comfort zone. It was a very enjoyable way to live, the same way that I enjoyed playing War Thunder for 12 hours a day, eating junk food, you know, getting drunk, getting high, doing nothing outside of creating video content. And I realized that I can do that indefinitely, in a way, right? I could I could stay in this limbo for two, three, five years, but what will happen is that at some point, you stop. At some point, as you're walking through life, every once in a while you will stop and you'll sort of, it's like you hear a voice somewhere behind you and you just, you look over your shoulder and somewhere in the distance, you see the old version of you. And this person could be very close to you, could be very far away from you, could be very similar to you, could be completely different. That's the the kid you were in high school. That's the kid you were in primary school. That's the, you know, that that one time you'd made a dumb mistake with a girl or that one time you, you know, you I don't know, you crashed your mum's car, something like that. These memories are still there. And ideally, you want those people to be as far away from you and as different as possible so that you know that you're going in the right direction. And I had a moment, me and you, I believe we spoke towards the end of September somewhere. We had a conversation. And this is a great way for me to catch up because I remember that conversation. And I remember how my room used to look like. I was sitting in a different area of my room. I didn't have the recording studio set up back the way it's supposed to be. I didn't have a job at the time. You know, I didn't I didn't have my, my shit in order. I didn't have a mindset. I was sort of, I was lackluster and all over the place. And so being able to look back, in this case, just four or five months and say, oh, wow, I've made all this progress. And yet my mind still goes, not enough. Get good. You're right. I keep going back to that old stuff that I've learned from this game and thinking, 
not in the perfectionist sense, not that it's never going to be enough, but just try to get more, try to squeeze more water out of that stone. Because what I've learned is that you get what you give. And I think both of us have given a lot to people, a lot of, you know, how many hours of content have we put in YouTube videos? You know, when I used to stream, yeah, it's, it's how basically... much... It's basically free entertainment that mm -hmm. we provided. Like the only thing that you have to do is try to uh, Google a certain topic, like a certain tank in your favorite video game. Let's call it War Thunder, and then you see the video. And uh, yeah, and even without, uh, for example, with Firefox, you can uh, you know uh, add something like an ad blocker, and you don't even watch the ad that gives yeah. uh, you know not much money. Like you can't make a living off this. And um, I just want to go back to this former self of mine. I remember exactly how it was when I started playing War Thunder and I was just getting full addictive of it. Like it was a true addiction. I couldn't live without a single day of playing hours of War Thunder. And I neglected university, which I deeply regret. And um, I, at the end of the day, I still managed it, but I managed my Master of Science despite War Thunder, not with War Thunder. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can't tell this anybody that isn't in the in, in, in the topic, you know, who plays the game itself and know how addictive it is. And there was a time when I freshly started, you know, making YouTube. I was really bad with the editing up until I settled on the various different editing uh, programs, how to make thumbnails, etc. It's... A certain skill these days i just can make what i did in like an hour or so in a couple of minutes you know everything that i the the, the work that i put into into you know the the classic overall picture of how to make a thumbnail there is already a file there that i just can use change a little bit voila new thumbnail right i know how to speak fluently english it's not perfect but it's much much better than what i start uh, started with and it was horrible. No, I, I have to commend you English because I know, ironically, it's it's what I'm working on at the moment is I'm working on an online English course for pronunciation. Um, I'm doing it because I understand as a foreign speaker, I'm not British, I understand the hurdles that are required to get over. Because when you speak um, English, you're speaking, you, you, you go from first speaking German, right? You, you you obviously have the German accent as you were born in Germany, and then you advance that into the the German English, right? And and that's why if you look at your videos, you know you you go less and less. You're speaking, you know, like the Germans, the, the typical vehicle, and so you know, we used to used to have a lot of fun in this in this regard. But you've as you you've progressed, you've taken a lot of that away. And what I what I have to commend you on so much for is your ability to pause and think and choose the correct word you do this so much as I've, I've listened to you today so many times you're able to just pause not use a bunch of fillers like most people would like um yeah, yeah you've done none of that you've just straight to the point found the word you wanted to use even if you had to like search through a head's dictionary for a little bit or translate it from german but you found it and you used it and it showcases and i i think that's so important because this act of speech and this act of finding correct words in the right meaning and saying them with a certain emotion that you can command people with so much more present you know people listen to that more they they pay attention to that more it's more effective for 
for for if you're dating, if you're going for job interviews, if you're you know having a presentation, if you're trying to teach somebody like the way you were teaching that kid, um, that kid was probably very lost, you know, and he was like, oh shit, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but you're probably able to recognize that you too were at some point in the shoes of that kid, and you're able to recognize that fear and. That, I think, is what makes the best teachers, is their ability to recognize their old self in those people and then show them a way out or or, or a way in, I guess, if it's you're trying to introduce them to something. Yeah. You know, I um, my whole one, family, one they're all, yeah, I just want to say this, because my whole family, they're all teachers, and I, at some point, I also wanted to be a teacher, and I went to study for a teacher, I realized that I was going to hate it, because it's one thing to teach people, it's another to, to have the government tell you how to teach people. So, yeah. and it's also what you teach them because some things you're not supposed to teach, some things you're not supposed to say, right? Certain um, agendas or types of thinking are not in this current world motivated. You have to be very careful. Do you introduce religion? Do you introduce um, ethical and cultural beliefs? You have to be really like on this edge. What's moral and amoral, right? And whilst you can create debates over these things like you know, is a war in a certain country okay or not? Is abortion okay or not? Is is weed good or bad? Like these things, are, you can have debates for it, but you can never definitively give anybody an answer. And humans, we're very driven to definitive answers. If I go on, go on YouTube and I, I search for how to play Tiger 2, I want to have definitive answers. I don't want somebody to tell me, you know, and that's why you know, you and me have succeeded in that realm is because we were able to give people definitive ways to do something, even if it was under the lines of, say, you're playing it wrong, here, let me show you. Yeah, um, teaching is actually a very difficult uh, task um, because while you kind of know what you know about the topic, um, you always can be surprised by some really e easy answers that you just didn't think about. Mm -hmm. For example, and uh, to go back here, one thing, I did not notice that you think about the way that you do how I speak English or how I pronounce it and how I have evolved because I'm always at the stage, you know, when I'm just doing something that everything that I know I take for granted and I kind of expect other people to know that as well. If you are in an environment when, for example, at university and when you are already after your high school, you know, which is mm -hmm. um, a degree of knowledge that a lot of other people will never achieve in the first place. Not saying that they are dumb or thing, but they have just qualities in other aspects where you can't reach their level of skill. And you just are there kind of really in a difficult spot to get into the head of somebody else. What does he know? What can I build upon? And where I have to just make a little bit of a side course to give him the basic knowledge about that so I can build on that. And going back to the uh, topic, the kid that I was teaching, he was saying, you know, when we first met, uh, he knows so much about chemistry and he is good at that and this. And I was, you know, I was leaning towards, yeah, that's making my job easier. Mm -hmm. But then I just went back to when, when I realized that he just stopped and looked for an answer, a really easy one, and he couldn't give me that answer despite he him saying that he knows it. 
Then I dig deeper and I figured out that he actually once knew this according to his test results, but he has forgotten about it and not trained it excessively enough, just learning for the test basically mm -hmm. and forgetting it afterwards, despite it being a fundamental um, portion of his future job, you know? And so first of all, I then went in a brutal fashion and I broke the kid. I showed him that he has no idea what he's talking about and then got him into that where I talked him, you know, build him up again in the right way, saying, you know, you got to re realize this and that. I'm here for helping you, but there are some things that you absolutely need to know. And at the end of the day, he became better. And that was, again, one of the things that I think is uh, also a really important knowledge to work with people to mm -hmm. see where they are at. And there is another example. Um, in the work where I'm right now, I always have lunch with a couple of people, you know, uh, the workers, um, the people from um, the storage area, etc. And I came into uh, talking with one of the guys and he said, yeah, um, I also love, you know, space, etc. Black holes, um, neutron stars and all these things. And I just recently read a book about it. And I, I'm also quite a nerd on this topic. And um, I came across that he mixed up certain terminologies. Mm -hmm. And I tried to correct him on this. And I said to him, you know what? Um, tomorrow I'll give you a book, you know, from not from work, but from my private library. And um, I gave it to him. It's not it's not a thick book. Like, it's it's just... What was it? 150 pages. Okay. And That's... there were also a lot of pictures. And I told him, you know, just read it through. And the editors of this book are two well-known scientists here in Germany that um, are experts in their fields in astronomy. Astronomy, mm -hmm. and they, you know, make real-life examples uh, of everyday observations that you can make, and then make you know, explanations of quantum theory and black holes and everything, try to translate it from the different mathematical equations, you know, with vectors and tensors and whatever, and, you know, into basic German. And I gave him this book, not giving him any sort of, of time uh, limits or whatever, and told him, you know, take your time, read it, and you know this and this because it's well explained in this book. And... A few days later, he gave it back to me with the words, it's too complicated. I don't have time for this. The pictures <laughs> look nice, but thank you. And I was like, and in my head, I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what you were asking for. But and that's, he's like, that's the excuse, right? That's because yeah, it wasn't was, easy. It, it was, yeah, exactly. It's not like a, a, a TikTok short video yeah, or a yeah, shorts yeah. on YouTube. And uh, there is some actual fundamental stuff inside of the book, right? And it gives you a bit more in-depth, like it's not studying it. It's not like you going through all the examples and the various different thousands of examples in the sky, just a few selected ones where you can easily see it, right? Mm. And mm, I, was, I, was, I was kind of hating him, this guy, for that. Not like yeah. really hating, but just the the attitude. 
and but, I mean, it's it's like, also yeah, you know it reminds it's me of what he wants. It's not what he wants, right? He wants the the exciting part. He wants that he wants the too stuff. too long didn't read, right? Yeah, and I was like, mm. I mean, look, look it, to give him the benefit of the doubt, it could be. And I use this music as an example. It could be that the book wasn't written in the melody that would fit him, because like. There's certain songs I listen to that you know you play them for most people. They'd be like, like if, like Ramstein, right? Like most people, you give them Ramstein, they'd be like, "What the hell is this?" Like you really have to commit to it. But ironically, I'll never forget the first time I heard Ramstein. And if it wasn't for the, I think it was Keine Lust, right? Which in in, in German means like no motivation, like they, you have no desire to do something, right? Yeah. And if it wasn't for the music video, which is the whole band of Ramstein being all like, you know, they they they, <laughs> they fakely make them all fat and like lazy, and they come down in a limo, and Till's got those like uh, oxygen masks and stuff. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant video, but if I wasn't for the video, I think I wouldn't have clicked on it and watched the whole thing, and then went like, ah, screw it, I'll download the whole album. I don't know if I've t have I told you the story how I got addicted to them. No. This is a great one. So it was in in high school. I think it was second year of high school. So I was uh, I don't know how old I was. 16 and we had this school trip for the next two and a half days and i was at the time i was uh, i still do download my own music but the way i would do it back then is like you know add like two albums per week or maybe per month and because the trip was happening i was like okay i'm gonna spend two days on the you know of bus riding i want to listen to some music i want to listen to something new and i just happened to find them just before i went to to bed and it was so i download the Rise Rise album, right? So Kind of Lust and Dalai Lama, all these songs. Yeah. And I liked it because ironically the, the the thumbnail, the picture of the album is is the uh, recorder, right? So the, the yeah. black box. Black box. Yeah. yeah. And I thought this is suitable because I like planes and whatnot. And we were driving on the bus and I didn't sleep much. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to take a nap. So I, I turn on my, my playlist to, I don't know, some piano music or something, right? And I'm just stuck in this limbo. I can't, you know, when you're like, you're almost asleep, but you can't quite fall asleep. So I thought, yeah. you know what, fuck it. I'll if I'm if I can't fall asleep, then I'm gonna do the opposite. I'm gonna make sure I don't sleep. So I I'm like, oh, Ramstein, this, yeah, okay. I click play. I was sleeping like a baby two minutes later, and I didn't understand why. And and that's how I started. And from that day on, I I I just love everything they do. And it's not because of the lyrics and. Even though it's my favorite band, I still don't understand or know most of the lyrics. Is the melody that bought me so hard? You know, the the new album that they released. When I heard Lugan Lies for the first time, yeah. I was like, even without listening. And now I speak way more German and I understand more German. I I can tell what he's actually singing. But even without that, the melody, his voice, you can feel the emotions. It's it's why I find music so so profoundly amazing is and and why I think Germans do it so particularly well. So many German bands do it amazingly because if you think about it, Germany, Austria, they were the pioneers of classical music. Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, they had I mean okay, they had an orchestra in some cases or, or a piano, but there was no singing back then. Like you know, the Blue Danube how do you how are you capable of telling such a strong story through just instrument 
that is something that modern music doesn't cover, doesn't explain. You know, no no rap song, no matter how elaborate and amazing the lyrics are, will be able to go into the depth of telling a story through a freaking instrument or having an orchestra that, that you know the the combination of violins and drums and trumpets and everything all together creates a story and they, they without lyrics they're able to say something that is to yeah. me that's astounding and so so very important and so i don't know where i was going with this but i will i will finish by saying i do judge people who don't understand that i i find that i cannot click and have a good conversation with individuals who don't understand that on a fundamental level mm-hmm. um for example i was in prague mm-hmm. um in the first week of this year and we were uh, visiting it for the city for a couple of days and you know there's the river the moldau uh, it's called in german and there's also a classical music title not what do you call it in english it's actually difficult um so it's classical music called moldau mm-hmm. and it has this amazing melody and you just get really swung into it and i highly recommend you you know listening to it on youtube and we were watching like this city and this overall you know the the classical architecture we were going on a little bit of a boat on the Moldau, listening to all the historical aspects when there were the various different bridges were built, um, how the city evolved uh, on both sides of the river. And when now I like I knew this like years ago that this song or not song, but classical music piece exists and that it sounds really amazing. A composition. Now, Com- I think composition yes, is the right word. Composition. And now that I'm listening to it, um, all the pictures of me visiting this uh, beautiful city comes into mind. And, you know, I hope I will never forget about this, um, even when I'm old. Because, as you said previously, one of the best things in life is to discover the world. And you have to do it when you're young, when you can, mm-hmm. without problems, travel long distances on train, plane, car, whatever. So... Especially since um, I'm together with my girlfriend for quite a while now, um, the big problem was that in the first year or so, or after the first year, Corona hit. So, you know, lockdown. And uh, half the time we were together was basically uh, dominated by Corona and the travel restrictions. Uh, But after this, uh, we went on our first real holiday. in in Croatia and we were there going by car and this is also a fundamental experience when you just go through Bavaria and then Austria and then you go through the huge huge mountains you know the Alps and you just see how the culture slowly but steadily changes kind of stays the same but gets very different nuances and then when we went through Croatia it it got slightly more Mediterranean, but not really that much. And then I remember it crystal clearly. We went around the corner and saw the Mediterranean Sea. And all of a sudden, all the houses just screamed 
uh, you're in the Mediterranean area right now. It yes. was coming around the corner and yes. I loved it. Uh, this crystal clear water that uh, looked like you were in an advertisement. Um, yeah, you were literally in an advertisement, like crystal clear, blue, uh, the waves, we were high, we were going down the serpentines, uh, slowly but steadily going along the coast to our final destination um, of the hotel. And it was beautiful. Memory that I will never forget. Mm -hmm. Like the second holiday we had last year, actually. Um, crazy to think about because it's already 23. Yeah. Um, was also amazing but not kind of the same first impression oomph moment right it's never the same as the first time yeah yeah although as you mentioned the mediterranean this reminds me a lot um slovenia where i live we have in a very small country you have a lot of diversity and unlike austria switzerland germany which are renowned you know for being really promising countries for people from the balkan to go move to they unfortunately offer zero of that Mediterranean experience. And I was, um, as I was, you know, the last girl I was dating, she lived in the coastal area. And so it was a, it was a relatively long drive there. But I explicitly remember there was this one long bridge that as soon as I crossed it on the highway, I felt like I was entering a, a second home. Like we're, we're in a, I was in a different, country altogether and ever since that day i almost started thinking you know i'd really want to live there you know or at least have a residency where a certain time of the year i can spend in that part of the country and then that resulted in me looking at some of the prices of real estate in that area and i thought you know what with a regular job <laughs> good luck getting there so that too i think is a is a is another form of motivation or inspiration to do something beyond or maybe play the game differently but that said i've never been fond of the of the regular and i think if you follow my journey from the beginning of, of youtube and the way that i played war thunder it showed that the approach was never regular but that reminds me of the fact that no person who's ever made anything unique happen followed the regular you know approach yeah, there is a there is a really interesting um, quote. Like, whenever I think about the the great names in history, right, that are known for their scientific work, their artwork, mm -hmm. or whatever, um, and then you go and read up their history and how they came to be, it there is always something unique about it, right? And rarely is it like following the trend and then just discovering something amazing or being able to do something. There are a lot of people that dare to try something new and you read their success stories, right? What I think is a big problem is that for those people who failed, you rarely read something like this. On the other hand, um, there is a really interesting quote from Michael Schumacher, Michael mm -hmm. Schumacher, you know, the, uh, the, the goat, the formula, the, the, no, the formula one pilot, you know, the, but you mean the driver? Yes. Yeah. The, the greatest um, of all time. I mean, next to at and Senna and, and Mike, oh, you and mean Mike. goat in, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um, the greatest <laughs> of all time. That's what the goat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, he made a statement that basically, 
um, in China, there are probably a lot of people that are that could be better than him, but that don't didn't have the opportunity mm -hmm. to, you know, discover their skill or show people their skill. Like you know, you need yeah, to be in a certain position already to get into a fast car. To you need money people. also, yeah. It's it's the, yeah. the entry level there is. And I think that, in all honesty, humanity could have solved a lot of issues, like you know, fundamental issues in in chemistry, in physics, in math, etc., and also in economic and in sorry in economic mm -hmm. things humanity could be further if everybody would have given the best of chances yeah but this is uh, this is the, the the debate between um equality of opportunity and equality yeah. of, equ uh, of 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 sorry equality of outcome and equality of opportunity right so the idea that you could because this is the you know there's usually that meme you have um to picture where you have a fence and you have three people at different heights and then you have a certain amount of boxes or crates you can have those people stand on right yeah. and so the equality of outcome i think is the way that everybody gets one box but the correct way suppose it would be that the tallest person doesn't get a box because he doesn't need to see over the fence the smallest person gets two boxes so he can see over the fence and the the, the middle person gets just one box um that's i mean yeah i guess in a, in a utopian sense it would it would be fair for everybody to get these sh shots but um i think in a lot of ways it's the adversity that also makes those great men i think that it's the determination that despite you know being hindered by something that they too can sort of push forward um you you said you know, for all the, the great people that succeed, you don't hear about the people who fail. I think, I don't think there are any people out there who fail and try again and fail and persist and persist that don't make it somewhere. You know, I think that even, even the guy who is the absolute biggest loser with a woman who's constantly trying and trying and trying, at some point, he will score. Like, you... You're you're a fisherman, right? Yeah. Now, the equal thing would be that all the all the fishermen at the side of a river have the same opportunity to catch a fish, right? So that when you cast your hook, you have the same chance as everybody else. And you can argue that, right? But the guy next to you's got a bigger fishing rod, and he's got a bigger bait, and he's got you know. And the truth is that. At the end of the day, the guy who's going to walk away with the most fish probably won't be the guy with the biggest bait. Probably won't be the guy with the most luck. It'll be the guy who's most determined. Because most of them are going to go home, right? You're going to have a guy throw his hook and he's going to get a little bit of a bite and he'll pull on it and the fish will get away and he'll just be like, ah, this is boring, whatever. Yeah. You know when you when well, you start a new activity, this is Yeah. I I bet you most people that come into Warthorn there they play a couple of games, they they get shot down, they're like, "Ah, oh, this is, you know, boring, whatever." They quit. So yeah. you need that determination you need to be able to say, "Okay, okay, so this is the this is the name of the game. 
this is what it feels like to lose let me let me learn like playing chess you know you make the wrong couple of moves oh, okay so i lost my queen but whatever you know keep fighting yeah and exactly that is um a bit of a german uh bit of a german joke um very often you know fishermen go out there they have their set rules and they say you have to do this and you have to do that and then you know somebody uh, just uses a different bait uh, just places the the bait in a different area you know different time of day whatever and is then all of a sudden against the odds uh, successful <laughs> and this is a new person a beginner right and in german it's called anfänger and so fänger also means Anfänger means beginner or starter, but Fänger means also catcher. So, mm -hmm. you know, in every beginner, there's also uh, somebody that makes it different and therefore has success, breaking the norm a little bit. Yes. Right? And um, I had some of those moments as well uh, as a little boy, you know, catching things that weren't supposed to be in the river in the first place. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is also something that shapes you. Yeah. But that's that's what both of us have in common with with life and also with War Thunder. You know, we were we were the the pioneers essentially. You know, I don't just consider us to be veterans because we 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 were there so so long and from such a such a early start. But that the way we approached the game was you were constantly trying to innovate. You know, you're trying to find ways to get around the problem. You know, is there a more efficient way to do this? Is there a more um, you know, quicker way to grind this is there. This this all sort of compounds and it creates more and more skill. And I I love that I'm able to look back at it now through a bit of a different lens. It's not bitter. I don't feel like I'm I'm not resentful for anything that happened. I don't hold ill will against any of the players that we had drama with or any YouTubers. I don't I don't look at it as wasted time. I really have fond memories. And I'm just trying to extract as much as I possibly can of the skill that I've already attained here and just sort of copy-paste it to other aspects of life. Yeah. Uh, well, there is there is one funny thing that I... Now remembering it, um, when we basically talked at the very start, uh, when we met each other, uh, you know, in War Thunder terms, uh, you were mocking me because I played... Uh, arcade, right? And that's yes. different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was a different, different approach, right? Wasn't isn't that like I'm I'm being hypocritical back then, right? But what I'm saying now is that that was your approach to it, and in in a lot of ways, it completely makes sense. Yeah. Like and you wanted to just because <laughs> you wanted to just play tanks, right? That was I think your biggest gripe was you were one of the players that didn't enjoy close air support, not because you didn't want to necessarily play it or play against it it was just you wanted to play a tank and enjoy it right yeah i was i was like um i took a, i took something different out of war thunder like you were a person that were really into playing the game embracing its rules getting the most out of where you said yeah i'm dropping an artillery strike not to kill but uh, mostly to get hits to increase my spawn points mm -hmm. to get faster into a plane or for example, when we were playing together, there's still a video out there when you were in the mouse and I was in the E100. And uh, it was at the end of the battle, we both survived and you just bailed out getting into a plane. <laughs> I would have never done this. It was not just yes. because of 
of um, of the KD or anything, but ju ju just to waste to waste a tank, you know, for me it meant a bit more than just one card in the deck. Like it had a bit more character to me, you know, and especially how I won the E one hundred. Oh, that was that was a different story. <laughs> um, but like I was always playing the vehicle rather than playing the tank. This is why I also had a bit of a different approach with my videos because I was focusing more on the vehicle at hand, right? Uh, I was not talking too much about lineups. I mean, I was always playing them, but I was never use, using them. And um, going back to the arcade thing, when you said you were hypocritical, um, I don't know if you remember this, but we were talking so often, and after a couple of months, I just happened to go into a game of War Thunder, Arcade Ground Forces um, Arcade, and you were spawning right next to me. I did not know that you were trying it. I thought it <laughs> it was like somebody impersonating you or something. But no, it was actually you. And you were the first one to die. And I <laughs> laughed my ass off. I laughed my ass off. Oh. But, but honestly, I, uh, I then wrote you and you were like, Rage, oh, this is so much bullshit. How can you play this? And I was like, ha, ha. <laughs> A week later, I tipped my toe into realistic, and I remember the first battle in a Panzer IV. I was going on this one desert map, and I was going on the low ground. So all the fighting happened on the high ground, where there were the two, uh, where there was the one village, I'll, I'll main, one I where there's the is. bridge. I'm not quite sure if it's that map, but basically on the low ground. It was just a very small, it was just a couple of buildings, and it was all the dunes and the desert. Yeah, yeah, that's LL main, 100%, it's got to be. Yeah, and, and it was and it was all by myself, and I was thinking, how the fuck is that something that people are excited about? Yes, it was just one example of a battle, and I just choose, uh, and I have just chosen the wrong side. Yeah, but I mean, it is, it is enough if you think about it, right? Like, that was... What, what I was fighting for was the idea that all maps should have the same layout, the same feeling, so that this doesn't happen, right? Because then you don't have that thing where the entire team goes to Charlie and one person goes to Bravo and then there's like nobody at Alpha. Because you're that player, you're sitting there, you capture the point, you wait for a couple of seconds, like, oh, maybe some other tank's going to come. And then you slowly start making your way to the enemy spawn point and realize there's no one freaking there. And then you got to drive across half the map. You finally get up to that hill, right? Because you, you got the wrong tank, let's say. And then you, you captured that point as well. At which point, some other dude's now spawned in the desert, right? And he's taken that capture point back. And then you go driving. And it's, it's just boring. It's back and forth. It's yeah. It's no more and It's no more fun than, you know, I don't know, going back to base to rearm and repair in a, yeah. in a big air match. And, and, and that brings then the old means like you're driving there in a mouse for five minutes. <laughs> finally getting there where a light tank would have been like... Uh, four minutes earlier, and then across the map, an object 120 just takes a pot shot at you and you <laughs> violently explode. And uh, it's just a big waste of time. You I know, mean, or better, you hear the sound of dropping bombs and you're like, ah, oh, this again. <laughs> uh, or all of a sudden you explode and kill message KF 15. Ah, oh, you know, all those things. So, War Thunder is both, um, I think, a source of utterly endless frustration. But then, when the stars align, you just you just feel like a drug drug addict after a new shot. You just 
big relief you're yeah. happy and and then uh the 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 feeling lasts like exactly 10 seconds before you press the battle bat, bat, ugh, battle button again and uh you just go through a hundred battles of misery in the hope for just to get the same feeling again but like the feeling i had after the 15 to 1 match in the tiger mm-hmm. to 105 or the one kika match that i told you those are the stories that you talk about those memories will stay there yeah not the not the fifty thousand other battles that you played it's exactly those moments and also when you show this on youtube you know then you get the criticism yeah you're cherry picking yeah but on the other hand this was so amazing i wanted to show you no i, I never and understood that the whole cherry picking because it's like that's like saying you know mozart should have released in all his shitty songs as well and uh, Pablo Picasso should have shown all his bad pictures. It's like it doesn't make sense. You can you want to present the best there is. Now that said, there were content creators that I had issues with because what they would do is they'd play two matches in a in a vehicle, and then showcases as if they know everything they're talking about. That's where I drew the line, right? Because you check their stats and it's like, wait a minute, Buster, you haven't you haven't done your homework, right? Because um, I was one of those people. I, admittedly, I was playing a lot, but. I would play sometimes 20, 25 games just to get one match that I thought was, not that it was the best match, but it was the best match to showcase, like you said, the vehicle. Because if it's about a certain tank, then you want to show a, a game that really showcases the strengths of that tank. Yeah. You want the right map, you want the right team, you want, yeah, the circumstances are a little bit, a little bit mixed yeah. up. But that is also like, um, the amount of different scenarios that you find yourself in War Thunder are, I think, unprecedented. And you also can take vehicles of much lower battle rating, you know, for the memes, um, for the... Um, what, what's the title? Not God of War, but... When you kill something that's five battle ratings higher than you, or five Oh, I have no idea. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I right? know what, what you mean, but... Um, Probably David and Goliath, something like that. Yeah, something like this along the ways. Uh, God mode. It's God mode. Ah, God mode. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, this is where the memes come from. And I made also a video like, you know, you can spawn later on. And in theory, you can one-shot the latest and greatest Abrams from the side with a Panzer 4F2 to get the shot in the first place. That's the difficult part, right? Uh, but then you get rewarded with 20, 30 extra, uh, 20 to 30,000 extra silver lines, right? Um, and, you know, this is also something that you can make a video about. And I just looked up my uh, views recently. Some videos create views even years after you publish them. Mm-hmm. My big silver line grind- grinding guide has uh, breached... Um, a hundred thousand views which is great for me you know i struggle to make 2k these days um which is awful to be honest um when you drop off like how the 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 thing treats you um from from youtube the algorithm you know how you uh try your best you know and you don't get success on the other hand when you start off and the algorithm is with you because of luck whatever then you know you're just fully motivated and war thunder is all that matters and um, i've been there in the growth phase where i said to myself to go right back to the restart of the discussion i could do this all day long you know and uh, i was literally there 
deciding if I should throw my uh, my university and just go full content creator. And I've decided against this. But at the time, it was a tough decision because it was so easy to put out the content mm -hmm. to see the channel grow. And, you know, I was in, a, in, in the situation where I extrapolated it to say, you know, in, in two or three years, I have that many thousand subscribers and that many thousand views. And, uh, you know, I, I, I could earn money. But it was also the time when Gaijin introduced some shenanigans. And I realized, hold on a moment. I rely on YouTube. Yes. I rely on Gaijin to not shut down the servers. Um, any sort of single incident could absolutely kill my YouTube channel. And then I'm left with nothing. Yes. And this partially happened when I uh, killed that one guy that then went on Reddit and made a big drama out of it. Right. Um, that kind of cost me dearly, but I didn't care because my livelihood doesn't rely on this, right? And so it was the very best decision in my life to not become a full-time content creator. I was close to it, mm. but I never made that decision. Well, I'm, I'm personally, I'm happy I did because I wanted. I, I gave it a try for a year and I did it because I wanted to figure out if it was something I'd see myself doing. You know, is it a fulfilling type of life? Because... To a person who's going to university or working some you know boring job that they don't enjoy, they might think, "Oh, this is this is great. This guy just plays video games all day." But I realized quite quickly that I didn't have a social life. I didn't have. Um, I had friends, but it wasn't wasn't the same feeling. Um, I wasn't learning or you know doing sports. I was sort of just you know you're just wasting time in a weird way. Um, yeah. Because like I mean, look, if you like scrolling through TikTok for hours on day, and somebody offered you to give you money for that, then you'd be inclined to give it a try but no i think you know differentiating your um, getting more income streams is a very very smart way to go these days to have a lot of different ways that you get money and to just base it off of youtube to just base it off of one game i don't know and i've always been sketched out because when i started doing youtube one of the biggest names in the community for the longest time um, I think, like, I think the biggest YouTuber for War Thunder is Fly Daily. We can agree there, right? Yeah. Before Fly, you had Entek. Entek was the biggest guy to make content. He was at some point, I think, he was making content that was either for Gaijin or the Gaijin was promoting. But he was like at the forefront. He was then joined by Fly and Baron from Games. And the harsh reality today is that I don't, I don't think Baron exists in the realm of content creation. Antac for sure has disappeared. These guys, you know, they've made a million YouTube subs and they're nowhere to be seen. And that's something that I was afraid of. And ironically, now I'm sitting on like, you know, less than 50,000 subs. I've actually lost like 360 subs in the last month. I'm getting barely a thousand views per video, but I'm committed to continue telling the story the way it is and whether people join in on it that's their their prerogative but youtube is a harsh harsh environment because what you really have to do to succeed is you have to catch the algorithm like you said you have to ride it out fully and hope that in that time you've been able to expand into some other business or different types of youtube channels or made it into a conglomerate to the point where it's just continuously making money or you just have to 
cash out of it completely. Hope you made so much money from it that it can last you the next couple of years or maybe till the end of your life and then you're good. I think if you live in some third world country where the average income that you get in American dollars makes sense and you have access to a computer, you have access to editing software, like give it a try because you could that, that could be your break out of it, you know. Yeah. The reason why I personally refuse to let go of, of all of this completely is because of the skill sets I've acquired and because I know that I have more to give. And most importantly, I'm sitting around surrounded by equipment, surrounded by studios, surrounded by a productivity space that I built 100% by myself. Nobody else helped me. Nobody else financed it. And I think it's a waste not to utilize that. Because most people, what they have is they have ideas they have you know their own little plans they want to do they have excuses most importantly and i think what it takes for a person to succeed is to look beyond the bullshit to look beyond the denial and and just persist you know the yeah. same way that these these people that you read books of now the people that have succeeded in highest levels of sport they've come there not just because they were skilled not just because they were talented not just because they had you know, support or whatever. It's the the playing field is never going to be equal, right? You're going to play a video game, sure. The guy yep. next to you spent more money than you. The guy next to you spent more time than you. The guy next to you, maybe they have better eyesight. They've got a bigger monitor. They've got a better computer. They've seen more FPSs. They, you know, you can always find another excuse. Or and this is where I think we start camouflaging reasons for excuses. Where we say, well, the reason I lost... No, it's just it's just another excuse, right? You're just trying to find... It's like... I don't know if you remember, but the, the real day that I quit, I think was January 2017, when I was in that duel with the guy called the Ladno. It was a BF09F. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I quit because of the reason that ping was bad. Like... I could see that his plane wasn't going to hit me, and yet his plane hit me. And But that's really just an excuse, right? I shouldn't have been in a position of that duel where the guy could get shots on me in the first place. So as much as I can look for excuses or reasons or whatever, the reality is I just, I sucked and I lost. And, and you know, it hurts the ego and it hurts the... But I'm glad it happened because it got me moving. It got me out of the, the slum and into the world. And one thing yeah. leads to another, you know. Well, uh, I, I get the feeling and I think that this is a very, very Im interesting and important point for people that are probably now uh, looking into content creation. Um, there are people that, or I think the most people that get into War Thunder and really overcome the initial um, fall off the cliff, mm -hmm. like when you realize what you have to do, how how thing it is, um, how steep and difficult it can be, especially with planes, there is one thing either you get really annoyed and leave wolf under or you get hooked and when you're hooked you know you're having fun you see progress you see yourself getting better you learn the maps you learn the vehicles you learn the game mechanics and you get really into the rhythm of you know ruling the matches you're together with people you're having fun communicating you know really try harding and sweating and you know, you get good. Mm -hmm. And in that in that stage, you feel like you can live the game. 
and then when you also make YouTube videos and they get going, you know, with subscribers and views, you really are convinced that this is your future. You're good at it. It's easy, you know, chi-chi, ease. And then the change come. When all of a sudden you realize you're playing the game to create content and you have to create content. You have to play that new tank, plane, whatever. You have to um, play the game and that new event, you know, that whatever event it is, and you have to do it. And you feel obligated to do this. It's and a job. all of a sudden, and yeah, and all of a sudden, um, you can't go out there Saturday night, you know, with your friends, mm -hmm. uh, you know, having a date, whatever, having private life. You're there. And all of a sudden, you realize that you're putting an awful amount of money into the game, an awful amount of, of uh, equipment, you know, better microphones, better PC graphic cards, um, various different programs, whatever, and especially time. And I think that this is where all of a sudden the sweet grapes turn into, can turn into sour, rotten grapes, right? Yes. When it just switches from having fun to being an awful job, especially when then uh, the game introduces new stuff that you didn't ask for, mm -hmm. that is overpowered, all your previous stuff gets made irrelevant, and you're against this. And you think that you're in a position where you just feel like you should have an opinion that is heard of, and you get com completely ignored, not by the community, but by the game developer, right? And I think that this is a really critical part that this is something that you must be aware can happen because if you then put all your eggs in one basket to you know throw your job throw your university whatever for that then you have to ask yourself is there a way back to go back to the old route and know how things are going and i think that a lot of people Especially with War Thunder, because it is a, it, it's a game of endless possibilities and endless what could be things. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's just a machine to create money for Gaijin. And um, you were saying about you were talking about that there are tons and tons of vehicles. I have over two thousand two hundred, um, like on my account already. And there are multiple hundreds more to go, right? So it's a never-ending grind. And you have to ask yourself, are you grinding or are you enjoying the game? Because there are some people, there are three types of people that I, at this very moment, envy. Number one, those who are in the endless uh, uh, hamster wheel grinding circle and enjoy it, mm -hmm. power to them. Then there are the ones who just turned around and left the game, power to you. you, you achieved something that I don't think I can achieve anytime soon. And then there are the people that have found their favorite vehicle and playing just that, not caring about the grind, civil lines, the latest uh, and greatest mm -hmm. premium, whatever, you know. They, they just come into the in... game every once a week and they have a little bit of fun. 
yeah, yeah. And, and I envy all those three at the moment because I I'm still because you were saying that I'm one of the few guys that is still playing boats and ships. Yeah, but this is also the last faction of War Thunder where there are significant additions to be expected. We don't have Bismarck, Iowa, King George V and Yamato in the game yet. They are still to come. I know, I know, but I know, but, all... but I'm, I'm thinking from the perspective of a Condon Cryer, you know, and, and the value in it that unless what they're going to do with boats is that it somehow rejuvenates and brings thousands of players and thousands of viewers and that you being there allows you to be the next greatest content creator, you know, I, I don't see that being a likely possibility. In fact, War Thunder for me has always been, you know, I, I tried to look at it from the educating standpoint. I was always trying to teach people how to be better. But unfortunately, YouTube as a platform is predominantly entertainment-based. People, people still want entertainment. And I don't know how to give... You, know, you said you don't see yourself being able to quit anytime soon but that gives me the feeling that somewhere deep down on a fundamental subconscious level you're aware that your life would be better off without the game as it is today that even though a certain part of you you know enjoys it and and you do derive a certain feeling of pride and 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 you know that you can create content and you can create value Actually, value is this really important word that I want to emphasize on because when we're making content, you really have to create value for people. And I realized that over a certain level, I could no longer provide value. I, I couldn't. I just, I wasn't enjoying the game. I wasn't enjoying the content creation. I wasn't enjoying the, the, the developer. I was enjoying the community. It was like, what kind of value can you give people besides just, mm. you know, rambling or giving them knowledge and stuff you want to give them a, a i don't know I, yeah. I've, I've always felt most powerful when i could transform people i could see them change you know whether it's little wins sometimes yeah well um back to that one topic um maybe i'll shock you with this number but as of today i am on day 2805 of daily logins jesus freaking christ it's it's an achievement of its own. That I actually is, was there. I think you might um, be the I, only guy with that. I I know that there is a that there might be a few people that are a couple of days further because I know that I was on a streak of 150 days when I just didn't log into War Thunder for a week or so and the progress got completely wiped and then started again in the time where I played world of tanks because war thunder tank beta was just so utterly bad and i had all the planes and i just you know didn't feel like playing i think that this was the chance where i could have gone you know away from war thunder but i came back and came back and came back for more of the buyers you know um and i think that i i'm not choking when i say that i know that i'm addicted you know because not just from my from my point of ah, if I leave now, I miss the chance of becoming the next big YouTuber when Gaijin gets naval forces fixed. I know that they don't give a fuck about it because it creates enough money as it is, right? And this brings me back to 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 one point: how many 
players do you think are currently online in War Thunder? Well, if you're asking me what the number is, um, I'll assume it's between 90 and 120,000, but how many players are actually on there? Right now, 165,000. See, that number is good, but the problem with the number of Orthander has is that it, it doesn't... I don't know it, what that number it, means. I tell you, I tell you. And I'm, this brings me back to a point that I was sadly not able to finish earlier, like an hour ago or something. Like, we're recording for over one and a half hours now. Uh, we're, we're three minutes away from two and a half hours, actually, so I'm going to oh, I'm gonna have to wrap the whole okay. thing up. Yeah, it's, it's the problem uh, with one, us. One we're, both, we're both yeah, ramblers. Go on. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, though. Uh, absolutely. Um, the, if you if you want more and you're still here, let us know in the comment section down below. Um, um, no, one thing that I absolutely failed to finish earlier, that one of the reasons why Gaijin is still earning a lot, and I mean a lot of money with Nemo Forces is that the grind is awful. Like if you're not in the flavor of the month and you don't have the very best crews, it's disgustingly bad. Okay, but, but that's not know, just naval, right? I mean, if, if you... But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because naval forces had so little players at one point, Gaijin gave some of the premium ships, especially the USS Moffat and USS Helena and a lot of other premium destroyers and cruisers, a modifier of 8.0. You know what that means? No idea. <laughs> With a premium, with a premium account, you get a basic civil line modifier of one thousand two hundred percent every game. Okay, that's a lot. I kid you not, and um, I don't know if I have shown you the screenshots, but I have played multiple battles with the three hundred percent booster, where I did a bit of things. You know, um, I made a video about it, where I got a million civil lines per game. And I can do this every single day. But, you know, after the fifth, sixth battle where you get this, you know, you, it gets a bit boring. But I could do this on a daily basis. And I have talked uh, and I have shown people. That's why a reason why the one video is getting so many views. But here's the thing. And finally, I'm coming to the point. I know it's way too late by this point. But <laughs> people have actually created bot programs running War Thunder. And they are just there in their USS Moffat, in their USS Helena, and letting the autogunners do the job, right? And uh, they just let War Thunder run every day, you know, and the, the, everything that the program is doing is pressing the battle button, you know, spawning in, and uh, switching to the AA. And so the autogunners of your main guns shoot automatically if you go to the secondaries or to the um, to the AA, right? And because of this massive modifier, even by only taking hits and only by maybe damaging uh, another ship with a couple of hits, you create enough that at the end of the day, quite literally, when you're coming home and the bot program has run 24-7, you're still making half a million civil lines. Right, let me stop you there because... The thing is, you're coming home after a long day of yeah. doing God knows what to a computer that's been running all day yeah. so that 
you can have silver lions, a virtual currency in a video game, so that you can buy virtual shit that you don't need to play the game at night. Do you, you know, do you, do you know how ridiculous that is? It's the next level of ridiculous. Like, I want to wrap this by saying the following is that I spent over 10,000 hours playing War Thunder. And I feel like a lot of that time was wasted. And that's knowing that I've made a YouTube channel, a Twitch channel, met thousands of people, influenced thousands of people, learned superb English, made all these connections, all this knowledge and experience and editing softwares. And, and, and despite all that, which separates me massively from the average person, I feel like it's time wasted. And so I know for a fact that the people who have done nothing of that sort are definitely wasting time. And I say this not just to you, but to everybody as a friend that whilst there is temporary fun to be had in the game, I have to say that the outside world, once you are able to break completely clean of this game, and the person I want to shout out here is Quetzal, my mod, because he was the first person that I know that was successfully able to just quit the game. Now, he is a bit extreme. He went cold turkey. He just never touched it again. He, just, he wasn't interested. But I envied his freedom. And if if any of you are still listening to this and you're in a, in a position where you envy the people who have quit it doesn't have to be War Thunder. It could be any game, could be any activity, could be you know any addiction. If if you know someone who's managed to stop doing that, whether it's stop using Instagram or stop drinking or stop smoking, if you know and and that person makes you feel envy, then you know you've got a problem, and you too should do something about it. Trust me, life gets better. Oh yes, it does. <laughs> so, is there anything else you want to say to to wrap the stream up? Um, obviously, your your links uh, will be in the description once this is released. Um, any questions people might have, you know, maybe we'll answer it. Maybe we'll we'll have another. Well, we're definitely going to have another conversation because it's it's always fun talking to you. Even though I know that what I have to do with you is I have to sort of try to pull you away from the war thunder analytical talk so that we get into the nitty gritty of life and then really are our conversation picks up pace yeah it's it's like the the autobahn of arguments because you you know so much and then you just ramble on and time flies by and you know that you barely have said anything but you talked a lot so it's uh it's obviously a little bit dangerous um but i know that i have this weakness but i made a youtube channel out of it so there are some people that uh, apparently enjoy it. And um, I know that a lot of my subscribers by name, and I know that they are still with me after all the fun and also difficult times. And uh, my thank goes out for them. And I'm not producing that much videos. And to be honest, I don't know how I did it in the past to put out a YouTube video every day. Like, I don't know how I did it. And these days I'm very picky with it. And it's in a state where I know that I could do more. But the question is, 
why should I? And I think it's at some point I have to go back to basics and just jump into a Panzer 4F2 and just go for it, racking up some kills, just ramble a little bit about it. And it's uh, it's it's a decent video that some people might enjoy while they make, you know, their uh, their snack, their food, just want some entertainment. And I should I should go back to this and not just over-engineer a video with all the graphs and um, you know Excel spreadsheet parts. That is cool as well, and um, you understand the game from a different perspective when you look at this. And at the end of the day, it's just a game, bro. <laughs> Why you have to be mad? Correct. Yeah. Well, but, uh, but on the other hand, um, damn! If I only have this tank. <laughs> 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 to this day, I don't have the IS seven. Actually, you know what? And... Quick, quick question: If you could, if you could just use one tank, you could play for the rest of the game. What would it be? Don't... Ooh, that's a difficult. One. Nah, you guys shoot shoot out the barrel. Anytime. Uh... I got two one oh five. It good has choice. to be very good. It choice. has to be my love. It's just it's it's sexy, it has style, and um as Fly once told said it, the the gun sound that the feeling of something exploding on the receiving end of the shell, it's just like a clicker for a dog. Correct. It it, it, it just is. The sound like of the, that gun is is oh. enough to make you want to turn on the sounds if you're like me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Pan um, Panther 2, absolute style, fits perfectly into the lineup. I love the mouse and the 100, you know, uh, also IS-4, IS-3, and a lot of other, you know, M103, what a tank, what a gun, right? But that Tiger 2 with the 105, there's just something about it that, yeah, that there's no I can't put my finger on it and say, that's the thing if another tank has it because it's not just the gun sound it's not just the the look of the vehicle um or the the, the skin um the the history i have with this tank the one battle i have it it's it's just the tank right amongst the hundreds and potentially thousands of tanks that there are in the game most of them are copy and paste anyway this tank stands out and I think it's one of the biggest crimes from Gaichen to deny this experience to new players. I I have to absolutely agree with you. And on that bombshell, we're now closer to two hours and 40 minutes. And I have to cut us off because it's been a wonderful conversation. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. And I hope to hear from you again very, very soon, man. Thank you. Okay. And uh... My pleasure. And uh, one final word. Um... I'll read the comments under this video. If you have any questions, I'll answer it. Good. Thank you, man. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. See ya.